Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that this week is like a baklava containing so many ingredients, even Charlie's Theron couldn't guess what's in it. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt. And Reese Williamson. Uh, James, Reese. Today we'll be discussing Gina Prince Bifwood's 2020 Netflix comic adaptation, The Old Guard. But before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concepts that I just don't understand. And James, this is this is more of a, a a question about a thing that comics do rather than a particular concept. Okay. So Reese informs me that Marvel are due to be killing off Doctor Strange this summer in an event are called they? the Death of Doctor Strange. Ooh. Um, now the Death of is a concept that I've heard of a bunch of times, and Indeed. so what I'd, what I'd kind of like to know is how often did these kind of events feel successful and are there any are there any deaths either recent or historic in comics that you know you think have worked particularly well or particularly badly given that we know for 98 percent of characters they will come back to life that is a good question uh broadly speaking if they turn the death into an event they have a story to go with it and therefore you can be fairly sure it's going to be successful um the thing that springs to mind is like a bad story actually is the resurrection of Jean Grey that happened a couple of years ago like it felt like they didn't really have a story there they just brought her back because they wanted to start using her again and they tried to sell it as a big deal and it wasn't and had she died a couple of times or was that was this yeah, the she first dies big all return the time. No, <laughs> this this was a I mean she died at the end of Grant Morrison's run and this was the the first time she'd come back in about you know, almost 10 years, if not longer. So it was a big deal that she was coming back, but the story itself didn't have that event quality. Um, So is that the trickier part then, do you think? Is the trickier part when you tend to bring these characters back rather than when you... Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know know how Reese feels about that, but certainly I think when they kill people off, you know, the, the stories are normally quite good, but bringing them back is often much less of an event. Um, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I think one time it worked was Captain America. Captain America's death was really good and they brought him back in a way that felt... Was that the, at the end of the end of Civil War? Yes, they killed him at the end of Civil War and brought him back a couple of years later with a big storyline that sort of redefined him. Same with Batman when they killed off and brought Batman back. That And that worked. But yeah, sometimes... Sometimes they just shuffle people off and drag them back and it's all a bit unceremonious. I'm thinking of when they killed Cyclops in the late 90s. So all of these have been Marvel examples so far. How does it? What about over at DC? Do they, have they had any more? I mean, he mentioned Batman. He did mention Batman. I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel character. Batman. Marvel character. <laughs> I think, I mean, DC did the, the sort of you know, big Death of Superman storyline, which was the the kind of prototype for all the death events that followed. Like, hmm. characters had died before. You know, Jean Grey dying was a really big deal, Gwen Stacy and stuff, but DC were the first to use that as an event. Um, the thing is, when they call something like the death of Doctor Strange, part of me goes, okay, what's the twist here? Because if they're putting the, the notion up front that someone like Doctor Strange is dying... He's not a big enough character for me to really care. I'm pretty sure he's been dead before. <laughs> um, so I sort of think maybe maybe this death of event will be a bit more metaphorical. I don't know. 
It's and all it, marketing. It's all marketing. <laughs> and who are the characters who've stayed dead? Because I, I know that there's like there's that cliched um. <laughs> list of characters that should stay dead, but actually most of them haven't. I mean, Uncle Ben has never come back in the in the sort of resurrection way. Uh, Spider Man's parents sort of came back, but it wasn't actually them. Um, yes. <laughs> ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, did mm. come back eventually. Mm. Um, Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy, yeah, but then Spider Gwen, you know, Ghost Spider. So, so you've got. Are they still using Ghost Spider as a name? They are. Has that stuck? Has that just. <laughs> Regrettably. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, I think it's just Uncle Ben, isn't it? Really, the only major, <laughs> really important character that's that where they're dead, where dying is either a big event, or they're a modern character that's died, or or the dying is part of another, so part of another character story. I just, I just don't, yeah, don't, through, don't I don't think there's another example. Through the nineties, there was a big thing about how you know the only people who stayed dead in comics were Uncle Ben, Jason Todd, and uh, Bucky, <laughs> and two of those three have come back since. So. <laughs> And I wonder if it's, you know, if we if we start to look towards the MCU now, because I don't think we can do it with all of the comics universes. But the MCU's been particularly interesting, hasn't it? That at the at the end of Endgame, we had this kind of lineup of characters who had not made it. Mm-hmm. And even by the end even by the end of Endgame, one of them was back. Gamora was back. <laughs> we've Vision met, we've, was back shortly Vision's, after. Vision was back shortly after. Loki has been back, um, and it, yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That I guess now we we will have these reckonings with whether whether the whether the bringing them back is worthwhile or whether the whether the bringing them back is justified. Because I think actually, like Loki, just barely acknowledges it, does it? It's just like right, he's here. Carry on. <laughs> Well, okay, so I've got I've got a, a sort of big point to make about the idea of death when oh, it comes when, <laughs> when it comes to to sort of IP which is that Iron Man exists to sell toys and lunchboxes and stuff for Marvel. Mm-hmm. So at the point where it becomes a good idea to have a new Iron Man, they will have a new Iron Man. In many well, ways, you, you take I think... all the romance out of it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think, in many ways, like killing off a superhero is a sort of lazy way to end a story. I'll give you an example, uh, which is from Uncanny X Force, or sorry, just X Force, maybe. Um, no, Uncanny X Force by Rick Remender, when um, there was a big, long-running storyline about Archangel in that, and at the end of that story. He could have killed off Archangel, but what he actually did was like put the character through a sort of really traumatic change, and that led to more interesting stories mm. than simply killing him offward. And I think, mm. you know, with death being such a impermanent part of superhero mm. storytelling, it makes more sense to give characters a sort of new twist or a different conclusion on the understanding that they will be back mm. one day. Like, you could have done a version of Endgame where Robert Downey Jr. hung up his armor permanently and you just never saw him again until he was recast and Iron Man came back that way. 
Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that the MCU is it is slightly it's slightly different on screen than it is in comics. And uh, you know, for a character like for now, for a character for for now, yeah. But I think in the MCU, like I think for Tony Stark to come back, you know, within the next decade, I don't know, it has to be Robert Downey Jr. Or you could put someone else in the Iron Man suit, and you can see that uh, they've, I, they've yeah, kind okay. of they've kind of taken different approaches with different characters. So it seems like what they're doing with Black Widow is going here is a new character who can kind of have the Black Widow mantle, but it's a new character. Yeah. It's not Natasha. But I can I can think of ten ways you could bring Tony Stark back in a way that doesn't undermine Robert Downey Jr.'s the conclusion to his story. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to make it a story event in itself. No, but do you mean do you mean bring do you mean bring Robert Downey Jr. back? No, no, no. You mean do bring Tony yeah. Stark back, played by a character by an actor that's not. Yeah. It's tough. It's, I would just... it's tougher though than it is in comics. That's undeniable, right? It's tougher because that performance was so strong and the character is so associated with the actor. But the MCU has changed character actors before, and it hasn't been a huge deal. If they find you the could... right person, they can do anything with the character. You could see, uh, you could see though, kind of, you know, the MCU shows no signs of slowing down at all or, or, or losing its success. You kind of could see just the MCU as, you know, existing and having to recast characters less so or, or kind of superhero identities less so their human counterparts in, mm-hmm. in the MCU. You, you could see that as, as kind of changing how then the comics deals with, 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 with character death, so you know you could see a you could see a scenario where over the next I don't know tw- let's say twenty years, the MCU is this still this you know uh, uh, for, real sort of force in in film, mm-hmm. and and we never see a Tony Stark come back to the MCU, <clears throat> and then over on the comics you might you might have you might have to see that the comics side kind of reflect that because all of a sudden then the game has changed a bit for superhero deaths and recastings and all that sort of stuff so i because i agree with you at the moment it's it's it, it, it it's not a good it's not a particularly fun way to end not fun way but it's it's a I almost think like it's a way for character creatives for writers to put yeah. a sort of a a stamp on on a yeah, character like oh i on their, on their writing of that right. character yeah i'm charles sewell i killed wolverine like no you didn't kill well first of all wolverine's not a real person you didn't <laughs> you know you wrote a story the death of Wolverine, and then Wolverine came back, and did you really, you know, was it really a good story worth telling? You couldn't have, you that, know, those, there those better are ideas both, to tell. Those are both bad deaths. Like, right, Wolverine exactly. dying was bad, Wolverine coming back was bad, and what they did with 100%. Wolverine in between those two things was also bad. Right. Yeah, they just brought, it just had a, an they old had version. They had old Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, God. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. And that is, that exact, that all that, what you just described, that's probably a very good recent case against the death mm-hmm. of blank um, events because absolutely that was a bad one and it was probably sold well you know remember the james you know there's that quote from what's it david gabriel who's sort of head of something head of at sales, Marvel? Yeah, yeah. right and he was like we're gonna do a death of event you know every year, every year kind of yeah. annualize this. <laughs> and i wonder i don't even know if he still works there but i think he maybe does i think he does and yeah. and if that's still the you know this is why we're talking about this is why we're talking about this because because the David Gabriels of the of the industry are still are going, yeah. There's money we, we, we want to sell a bump on Doctor Strange. Let's kill off mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Should we move on and do some news, please? And yes. Talking about something that has been killed. 
Netflix has decided not to move forward with a second season of Jupiter's Legacy, um, making an absolute mockery of me going, oh, well, I guess it, I I mean, I haven't heard anyone talking about it, but I guess it was, it was up near the top of their most watched things of the week on their homepage. Uh, It must, it must have done all right. Um, (laughs) Evidently. It, the thing it, is, it did not do all right. <laughs> the thing is, it was the most expensive thing they've ever made, right? So the, the reports were saying that it was it had cost them two hundred million dollars to yeah. make that season. So it it oh. could have been one of the best watch things on Netflix ever, <laughs> yeah. and it still wouldn't have been as profitable, or you know, the numbers wouldn't have worked as much as something like Russian Doll mm. or, or Stranger Things. And and I know that does sound like a lot of money, but you know, like for for big like tentpole shows for for services, you know, just just thinking about like the eye watering amount of money that the final season of Game of Thrones cost, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you spend two hundred million dollars and get Josh Demel? <laughs> that just seems crazy. I mean, this is this is the thing. Like, you know, you can spend however much doing a Walking Dead or a Game of Thrones, but. Those shows worked up to it. They didn't go hard, mm. going hard with two hundred million in season one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, evidently the sums didn't work for Netflix. Um, no, but if you believe Mark Miller, it's actually a good thing. Yeah. So the the way that the, that this was spun was <laughs> that they had decided not to move forward with a second season of Jupiter's Legacy. And what that they, <laughs> what they said was that they would be releasing the cast from their scheduling commitments, <laughs> as if, as if, like you know, they they weren't wanting the they weren't wanting to keep the cast around, not knowing what they could do, so they can go off and make more stuff. And it's, and and there was some kind of vague like intimation that oh, and and, and maybe we'll get back around to it in the future. <laughs> Um, and that instead, what Netflix would do with Miller World would be um, start to make shows in an anthology format, starting with a Super Crux series. Mm. Um, Super Crux is set in the world of Jupiter's Legacy. Yes. So in a way, in a way, that is still going. <laughs> but yeah. So this, this, this it wasn't a very. But what else is there? What else is there for? The- because we went with this, you know, we did all this on the kick on the kick out on the on the Miller episode. You know, all the other big ones belong to other people. It, Jupiter's Legacy is the big one that Netflix have, and they're not doing that. Okay, Super Crooks is that. I mean, what else? Oh, an anthology series based on Super Crooks and question mark? <laughs> is, like, is what it, else is, is there? MPH, is MPH in that <laughs> universe? Um, what's the the Magic Order? I think that's that universe. No, but the well, but the Magic Order they 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 retooled that. I think no, they, that was that was a separate project pre pre Jupiter's Legacy, mm-hmm. and that got a pilot or a, or a script that they that has gone back to be retooled. So that yeah. also has kind of had a go and not gone anywhere. So Netflix now must be just. I mean, Mark Miller has just played a stormer. He's just played a storm by selling. <laughs> it's hard selling not to think that, isn't it? To Netflix. I mean, I I feel you know I've he's he's the winner here, and you know his politics aside and all that other stuff. I just kind of. I kind of envy his his just his chutzpah. Yeah, for, I for I absolutely admire Mark Miller's hustle. <laughs> yes. I also I think it's really hilarious that Netflix have driven the Miller World car like off the lot, and the engine has just fallen to bits in the middle of the road. They've got to be looking at everything that Miller World is and go and going like, 
Ah, that was a big play, and it like no one cared. I wonder if Are there's a talking... lot of pressure on him to be writing the next thing. <laughs> you know, to be coming yeah. up with fresh ideas because, you know, the, the, there must have been... Fresh, you know, fresh ideas from Mark Miller. But it, as you said, uh, Netflix, Netflix <laughs> knew the volume of properties they were buying. Mm-hmm. So so that won't, that won't come as a surprise to them. And, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, it's not... It's not like I think, you know, and obviously people didn't turn up to Jupiter's Legacy, but it's not like white mainstream audiences were turning up to Jupiter's Legacy because they'd heard of Jupiter's Legacy. And it wasn't like mainstream audiences turned up to see the boys because they'd heard of the boys. It was just the show was marketed effectively and it was reviewed Mm -hmm. well enough that people stuck around. So, you know, I I do wonder whether the best approach is maybe, you know, kind of like what happened with, with Miller's first, like, mega success with kick-ass which is you know he's writing it and it's being adapted at the same time mm-hmm. yeah but it's yeah but it's a different i think we're in a different world to when kick-ass came out and was a hit you know it's the the the, the dearth of superhero stuff now is it's it, it's i just think it's just, it's so different you know the fact jupiter's legacy probably you know might have been a hit might have been a big hit five years ago you know but now when you have you know, when you have everywhere. Disney Plus show, it's just sort of, it's yeah. just too much. And you, you can't, sh- you can't show up with the Josh Duhamel starring but crappy you... show that was, that was, that was better. It was like a premise pilot of his first season. You have, you just, you can't. I mean, in, you know? in fairness to Jupiter's Legacy, like we, we covered it on our Patreon. Um, by the end of that show. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> by the end of that show, I was actually quite into it. Like it was slow. But there were things about it that I enjoyed, and it toned down a lot of the excess from the comic book as Miller adaptations. And often it's, yeah, and it certainly wasn't terrible. But I don't. It wasn't. It didn't capture the zeitgeist. We happened. wouldn't have looked at it if it hadn't been for the podcast. No, exactly. Um, I did. I I just wonder whether like is. I mean, we cut. We had we had this discussion on the Mark Miller episode, but like, is is he still? relevant and does he still have it in him to kind of look at the zeitgeist and look at what people are responding to in comic books and and comic book adaptations and come up with a new twist on it because if he does if there's something really compelling like if if he hands netflix an idea that works netflix can bring they can bring viewers to it i think part of the reason it probably failed is you know maybe Netflix kind of saw the writing on the wall when they saw what the show was and decided not to put, you know... Because, you know, they'll be deciding what percentage of their marketing budget for the year to put behind each new thing. I didn't feel like there was a glut of Jupiter's Legacy being tried to be pushed on me. So... I yeah, think... but also, they, they, they didn't push Tiger King and that becomes you know, a, an yes, era-defining yeah. cultural event. So they, <laughs> they, they can just, because of their reach, they can sort of just throw stuff out there. And, but and what I mean is, I think, connects, if, it connects. I think if Netflix has got something that they know is good, they will find a way to bring audience eyes to it. Yeah, I guess Queen's Gambit was kind of that. Like, I felt like they yeah. they knew that was good and they were like, yeah, we're going yeah. to get it out there. I mean, so, the, uh, the thing that interests me is, as you say, like... Is Mark Miller able to bring these hits anymore? Because hmm. it feels like it's been a while since he had a real smash in comics. Like, he doesn't put out that many in the first place anymore. Um, 
there was some hype around the magic order being massive but actually it turned out they were giving away coppers in loot boxes loot crates or whatever <laughs> and counting those towards the sales so i think that was it anyway yeah and you know it was a bit um there was a bit of system gaming i can't I can't imagine an original Mark Miller concept topping the charts these days because he's just, you know, he's been out of comics too long. The people who loved him have moved on. Feels like he's not as relevant anymore. I bet we see. I bet we see Miller on. I don't know the third tier, the third Superman book, the Superman C book within five years as I, a return to comics. You know, I I don't think he'll bother because he mm. doesn't have to go and write anyone else's comics now. Would they even employ I mean, would, would Disney employ uh, a writer for a competitor? Like Disney and Warner might just be like, no thanks. Why would we want that guy writing our comics? He's the competition. No, I'm, I think I'm saying that every the Netflix stuff will will end. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> like he will. This will. This is a. This is a failure, and at a certain, at a certain point, Netflix will cut their losses. And well, Netflix owned Miller World, so it's totally possible he could quit Miller World. That's for sure. And, you know, Netflix could just absorb the brand. But knowing knowing Mark Miller, I think he's probably a bit cannier than that. Mm. And there's some clause in there that means he has to stay on in a ceremonial role, if nothing else. Oh, great. Sure. Right. Uh, let's move on from Mark Miller and let's move over to uh, Warner Brothers. So um, Warner Brothers is being, um, well, effectively bought by Discovery. So Warner Brothers was previously... <laughs> Previously owned by AT and T, um, and has been purchased by Discovery. They've uh, they've uh, put out a very uninspiring new logo for the company uh, with the tagline <laughs> "The stuff that dreams are made of." Um, and uh, you know, there's there's not much hard news about what this will mean for Warner Brothers, and obviously Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, they put out all of the DC movies that they, they, they make a lot of comic book content. And it's interesting, especially with what's happened with Warner over the past year with HBO Max and then making the decision this year to still be releasing stuff on HBO Max. Um, and what the future of that content is. Um I think it's, it's it sounds like from what they're talking about in the immediate future that their plan is to kind of, they've got about between 20 and 25 movies that they plan on putting out each year. Half of them will be going um, to cinemas. Half of them will be uh, premiering on HBO Max. Um, and that's kind of their strategy for now. But it's interesting, right? Because I was listening to, um, I think it was on the Bill Simmons podcast, and some, he he asked someone about uh, about this purchase and about AT and T effectively getting out of the movie game. Mm-hmm. And the 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 guy who was a bit of like a an industry expert was saying like when it happened, AT and T buying Warner Brothers in the first place was kind of confounding because they're a communications company what were they doing buying this entertainment company and Mm -hmm. you've seen that they haven't really known what to do with it and last year when they did make the you know when they made the decision to stick all of this stuff onto hbo max without consulting a lot of the filmmakers they pissed a lot of people off they pissed off the chris nolans and um denny villeneuve's and and 
there was this sense that the studio that had historically had this reputation of being the most filmmaker friendly wasn't. There's also been all of the Ray Fisher stuff and all of the scandal in the background around DC um, and and Joss Whedon and Walter Hamada and a load of people that are still involved. Um, and it feels like this is potentially a point for the studio to pivot, certainly with the way they do business. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my question to you guys is do, what kind of impacts do you think it might have on the comic book projects that come out of DC and Warner Brothers and what would you like to see change as a result of this because I think first and foremost moving from AT&T to Discovery means this has been run now by a content company rather than a communications company which feels <laughs> we're gonna positive see, at least we're going to see fewer yeah. cell phones in DC movies <laughs> that's the difference I mean honestly I, I think I don't understand enough about Discovery to make a call on this. Um, I I think it's way too early for them to do any hard pivot. So, you know, we'll probably see the DC projects continue as they were for a few years at least. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. The question is, right, is it is it better to be owned by a, you know, media, uh, <clears throat> a, a telecoms conglomerate in AT&T or a media company, but with, you know, largely a factual and entertainment expertise and history? And you know, that's that's the question. I, I think if it were me, I'd probably pick the latter. But, you know, do we see, you know, Bat, sort of Batman hosting a... You know, a, <laughs> food a reality network. show in a, you know, in a Batman Food Network. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, no, of course not. But, but, do you know what I mean? It's not. <clears throat> it's not like DC. Have, it's not like Warner's having been purchased by, uh, by Disney or by, um, or by one of the very few major net, major studios left in you know in the world. Uh, but I, I think it's probably net positive. What it means for DC, um, I think it could change could change some of that streaming theatrical balance perhaps you know because the whole you know basically the end my again it's quite a dense story and we are you know we are hardly media reporters but my my understanding of it broadly is that the play was going to be from AT&T that <clears throat> it was going to be a kind of a network access play you know or, or sort of a they were going to include HBO Max as, as some kind of you know as a as an included add-on for signing up to AT&T and so therefore you want to you know therefore you are led to make HBO Max content well I guess what's your incentive right you want it to be really you want it to be so much of it and and it's quite you know it's sort of it's grabby and 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 perhaps you know perhaps quality perhaps quantity you know is 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 a higher is a higher incentive than quality whereas Again, Discovery, they are a media company. Maybe they're like, hey, hey, guys, just make good stuff and, and we'll make money out of it the, in the more traditional ways. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that, that, that's a good call. I think so. Um, it does feel like they might be more interested in having a diverse output than a lot of output, right? Mm-hmm. So well, maybe... you know, ideally, they we see a kind of a... Dis- and it's, it is different, but I think the way you've seen Dis, 
because you know me and you james we we we're into this via the comics and and so there's a bit of you in the back of your, back of my mind that wonders what this could mean for the comics because I I would have thought I bet if you were, if you were DC Comics two years ago you're like oh we're owned by AT and T now they're not going <laughs> to give a shit about yeah. these fucking twenty two page you know comic books why would they care yeah. whereas you know if you look at Disney what Disney's done with Marvel or with Marvel Comics I think using it as a bit of a especially now Feige's properly in charge of all of it, using it as a kind of an R&D for the movies because, yeah. and also, because you're a media company, right? And Maybe also could, the thing, the I think the thing, the big change in Marvel since Disney bought them <clears throat> is that Marvel now put out, for example, licensed Star Wars comics and mm. uh, like Conan comics and stuff. So they, they looked mm. at Marvel and went, well, you're really good at doing the Marvel Universe stuff, but as a comic company, you should be getting as much on shelves in as many different ways. Mm. So we own Star Wars. You're going to be doing Star Wars comics now. And the previous Star Wars, com- Star Wars comics people, you know, went away. Um, oh, they're doing alien comics. They are well, also, right? I was about to say, they're also yeah, doing alien comics now. So, yeah. you know, I think that's something Disney has, if nothing else, invested in Marvel as a comics company beyond mm. superheroes. And mm. I think that's, that's a good thing that could definitely happen at Discovery that probably wouldn't have happened at AT&T. Right, let's move on to a show which is debuting later in the year. Uh, Why the Last Man is finally turning up on screens. Um, huh. It is uh, <laughs> It is due to uh, air on FX and Hulu. Um, so it's a blast kno- from the past. Who knows where it's going to turn up here. So, uh, right, I'm aware that Why the Last Man is a very famous title right yes um and that a lot of people like it a lot mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite comic books ever is has okay. its time passed though because it's, it's been talked about for so long and it's finally showing up and and you know who knows what the quality of it's going to be but is is that title you know you know am i gonna want to am i gonna want to tune in and watch it when it airs in september basically hmm. i don't see any reason why not i think the premise has always been a strong one um it's been you know it's got enough critical acclaim and it's taken long enough to make it to screens that you would hope they're not rushing out and doing it badly um you could also though jane you could see the headlines of uh, you know this is a show hold on so all the men die and the story's about the one guy? The one guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I can see there are ways to interpret that narrative that doesn't look good. But also, let's face it, if there's only one man in the entire world, that should, in theory, guarantee a lot of strong, strongly written female characters. So look at it that way. And, you know, I feel like there's... There is a lot of discussion around, you know, gender and the presentation of gender that a show about, you know, implicitly about gender is not a bad call in 2021. I'm trying to remember how much, you know, I haven't read it. I read it when it was coming out and again, I loved it, but I'm trying, I'm sort of trying to remember and trying to, trying to put into, into mind for today's, you know, for today's world, what it did have to say about gender. Cause a lot of, a lot of my memory of it was, and I guess I, I was younger, of course, but, this is just a this is a you know a great Brian K Vaughan scripted you know with, with great dialogue kind of mystery action adventure show. What it 
of course it had implicit subtextual things to say but you know what it had on its te- on its surface had to say about 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 gender uh, you know i'm not sure that was its primary no no but function. if nothing um, else like the diversity of female characters and the the opportunity for them to inhabit different roles in a world without male characters you know in that sense alone hmm. it like i say it has it has stuff to say about gender even if it's subtext rather than hmm. text it's interesting because obviously <clears throat> it's had a it's had a troubled production history right so i wonder whether sort of talking about it in this conversation you know does it still work maybe the the history the troubled history is people trying and failing to make it work i don't know i don't mm-hmm. know and, and we'll see thank you i just i i just get such so, so is it right uh, barry keegan had been cast in this originally hadn't he and he's dropped out and a actor called uh, ben schnetzer schnetzer is now is now playing yorick i just kind of get like um a man who killed Don Quixote vibe from this that like, you know, Terry Gilliam had been met, trying to make it for years and years and then finally puts it out and the release is fumbled and people shrug and go, Oh, okay. So it's, there it is now. And I, I yeah, it, it's just, it's such a crowded landscape now. Um, I do wonder whether anyone is, is going to pay attention when this drops, but I guess we'll see. I guess the, I, I guess if it's really if it's really good, people will turn up. I feel like the likelihood is that it it just ends up being one of those middling comics adaptations that slips off the Netflix front page and into obscurity after a couple of weeks. Sweet tooth, I'm, sweet tooth. I'm yeah. looking at you. Well, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of I don't know why two things just came to mind: the a preacher as one, mm. and also the strain. Remember that that Corey Stoll starring yeah. vampire thing, which again just I <laughs> felt like I mean I think I watched the first season, and, but it just then it just not, it just made no it just left no footprint, and it was based on books that people liked. Corey Stoll was good. You got a genre angle, uh, and yet just it just exists, and then it's just gone. You know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But equally, Lucifer. You know, just sure, but I, I, I'm just going to check the I'm going to check the credits of Why the Last Man. Tom Ellis is not the star, is that correct? <laughs> so I wonder. I'm not sure then that it's going to connect. I mean, you just you can't know if something's going to hit the zeitgeist, regardless no, of, course, of how successful yeah. it is as a comic. Yeah. That's the that's the takeaway from the last couple of years, I think. Which makes me worried for Sandman, but not too worried. Mm. Hey, well, let's segue. Uh, Sandman has been James. You beautiful segment. Yes, well done, well done. I learned from the masters. Uh, Sandman has been uh, back in the news because a bunch more characters, uh, the casting, were announced, and um, I think the the one that people were anticipating the most, um, and the one that has caused the most uh, backlash from our souls online, is that. <laughs> Kirby Howell Baptiste has been cast as Death. Mm. Um, so I, I remember when there was talk of this project coming together maybe five or so years ago, there was lots of people saying how good Tatiana Maslany would be and that she and and that this character like always has like a or or, or in the comic has like a white goth vibe, right? So this is this is a different take on the character to be casting a black actress, and um, Neil Gaiman has spent a decent part of this week <laughs> fending ar- off wankers on Twitter, arguing mm. with trolls on Twitter about this. Um, 
it you know it's it's the perfect kind of bait to piss off those kind of people that that what i thought was also interesting that all of the cast were announced with their pronouns as well mm-hmm. uh which is obviously you know a, a, a great and progressive thing for netflix to be doing um well also neil gaiman pointed out that one of the reasons they did that was to make it explicit that as in the comics desire was not explicitly male or female and that they were gender fluid so right okay you know there's a there's a practical aspect too he specifically wanted them to not refer to desire as for example dream sister right okay yeah but it's also you know they're is it not this is cynical but it's actually it's kind of smart they're playing the game right do that Mm -hmm. you know you'll you know you'll piss certain people off not just from the not just from the the, the the race bending of the casting but from the pronoun thing you will you'll get more press you'll get more press if you uh, you know you'll get more press than if you hadn't included it uh, you know yeah. isn't that's the truth it can be both a good thing yeah uh, and and you know and fitting the source material that they're adapting but also good marketing it can be all those things it's it's funny that uh, this week as well there's been you know a lot of debate online after uh, Dana Schwartz, who is uh, <laughs> a film writer, is also um, was hired by Marvel to be one of the writers on She-Hulk. Um, mm. Wrote this article for Bustle defending. Uh, it was kind of prompted by Cruella, but defending uh, you know kind of this this new IP led media landscape, and um, you know I think very justifiably a lot of people online were. Uh, <laughs> pretty um pretty disgusted with someone who was being paid with by disney writing the disney defense piece without declaring anywhere <laughs> declaring their interest yeah, yeah. Oh, she didn't declare it on the, no. on the, on the page that's no. mad that's mad um, the replies and... were like i too think my boss is great <laughs> <laughs> and i i think that one of the you know one of the things you know because i i don't necessarily disagree with everything she wrote i don't think that um i don't think that adapting ip is always a bad thing and i don't think that um you know a lot of the pro you know that that a lot of the projects that are coming out of disney are worthless so you know otherwise we wouldn't be doing this podcast like i mean cruella's <laughs> a bad the choice for criticism as well because cruella is pretty good we, yeah, time. but but you know you can you can see why people would go. Why are we making a Cruella movie? Couldn't we make a, a Devil Wears Prada riff with Emma Stone that isn't Cruella and doesn't yeah, feel absolutely and doesn't feel burdened by all the things that a Cruella movie needs to be? But she also wrote in there about how actually no, you know actually it's and it it's quite feminist what Disney are doing and and this kind of weaponizing of um, diversity and progression and identity politics and you know that as as reese just said that is you know kind of what companies like netflix and disney are doing um we mentioned on the patreon james that there was a reference in the first episode of loki to him being gender fluid mm-hmm. and all of this stuff is you know really great if you do could because it can actually be driving representation in really mainstream media but also it can kind of be lip service. And there is that 
there's that delicate balance I find between kind of going like raising an eyebrow and, fi and finding it so frustrating that these commercial entities are weaponizing being progressive to make money but also then I go well it's probably a good thing that being progressive is now something that they can weaponize to make money because if the big you know if the big streaming giants are doing it and putting that representation out there it kind of doesn't matter how many dissenting voices there are i mean well, the, the thing yeah. as well is however however begrudging a step it is it is at least a step in the right direction and every step makes the next one easier to take so i think yeah <clears throat> you know even if it's lip service now to you know these ideas but 10 20 years ago they wouldn't have been considered at all so further down the line we'll be in a in an even better position with regards to representation so i think the, it could happen faster but it's it's not to be criticized that it's happening at all the a depressing count uh, i'm not even sure it's my view but here's a depressing counterpoint to what you had said joe which is Yes, but we live in a, you know, perhaps an ever more polarized and polarizing society. And actually, if you're Disney, you know, who's CEO and chairman are white, old white dudes, you see that and you go, let's just do all the diversity stuff right now, make all the money, cause the bigger rifts. And then, you know, in five years, we'll, we'll, we'll have a different business plan. You know, like the, 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 the actually that they are making the problem that they are kind of happy to make the problem worse in the in the long term for short term gains, capitalist yeah. games. That's just a that's another view. Yeah, um, let's let's actually talk about Kirby Howell Baptiste. I think uh, you know a rising star. I know her from The Good Place mm -hmm. and Killing Eve. Um, she has been on shows like Love and Barry and the recent uh, Veronica Mars revival. Um, she was in Cruella, apparently, James. Um, <laughs> and and she yeah, is, she's I, uh, Anita Darling. Yeah. And do you do you see a fit with this character? Do you see because you know, like you you must have been like eager to find out who was playing Death. So do, how does this? Yeah, so the thing is, right, the people who are upset about this are, in my view, the kind of people who, you know, to, to borrow from the anime industry, they think death is their waifu. And they're upset <laughs> that she doesn't look exactly mm. like she looked on the comic page. Mm. Um, the The spirit of death as a character... I can absolutely see being embodied by Kirby Howe Baptiste because she's got that, you know, compassion and amiability and approachableness that death has in Sandman's comics. Like from the work I've seen in every, in everything I've seen where I've seen her acting, there's nothing in there that doesn't suggest to me she's going to absolutely crush it. That sounds very positive. Um, and just to quickly run through the rest of the casting, uh, casting announcements, uh, there's a few recognisable names in there. Uh, Mason Alexander-Park is Desire. Donna Preston is Despair. 
Rosane Jamal is Lighter Hall. Jolie Richardson is Ethel Cripps. Neve Walsh is Young Ethel Cripps. David Fulis <laughs> is John D. Uh, Kaya Ra is Rose Walker. Patton Oswald will be voicing Matthew the Raven. <laughs> Stephen Fry is Gilbert. Jenna Coleman is Joanna Constantine. And Sandra James Young is Unity Kincaid. Um, is Joanna Constantine a character or is she playing gender flips? <laughs> jo- Joanna Constantine. Constantine, which some of the people criticizing the casting didn't even fucking know. Joanna Constantine is an ancestor of John Constantine. Ah. Not not a gender flipped version, an ancestor. Right. And is she so, is she in the Sandman comics? James? She is. Yeah. Okay. Anyone anyone complaining about John Constantine's gender being changed for Sandman is outing themselves as a proper idiot. Mm. And you see, when we were talking about Jupiter's Legacy earlier, and I kind of said about, like, I feel like Netflix will be able to turn something into a hit if they want it to be a hit. I, You know, I, I think Sandman is going to be one of those that they push a considerable amount of might behind. Yes. The, I fact, mean, it's the been... fact that these casting announcements keep being, you know, a big deal is something in and of itself. Yeah, I just, I don't think they would they would be doing Sandman if they weren't confident it was going to be good. Yeah, so fingers crossed. I think that when that does turn up, I think it's going to be firmly on the radar of this podcast <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in a way that that maybe some other adaptations haven't been. Um, and then a uh, final quick piece of news, not too much to discuss about this, but um, Issa Rae has been cast as Jessica Drew in, in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2. Um, I imagine it will have a more creative name than that when it does turn up. Um, <laughs> again, this is a, a piece of, I, I guess, I don't even know if this is the right phrase to use, but race-blind casting um, in that Jessica Drew is a white character in the comics. They've cast Disarray. Um, but I think this is just, you know, a, just a case of casting someone who's talented and charismatic to voice a character. And, I, and you know, the news is probably more that Jessica Drew is going to be one of the notable <laughs> It's going to be characters. in it at all, yeah. Well, and also that I think it's more that the level of Issa Rae as a piece of casting suggests that Jessica Drew is probably going to be an important character in the sequel rather than just Did they not thrown in there. Did they not suggest that they were working on a separate Spider-Women story? That would, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to gauge how excited we should be for Spider Verse Two because, you know, I think in the year in the in the months years since it came out, that movie which was very well reviewed at the time has it's like has, has only grown in, mm. you know, you'll have a lot of people saying that's that's the best superhero movie ever, that's the best animated film ever, you know that that is a that is not a, that is not a controversial statement to make, and uh, but on the same you know on the flip side for the sequel you've lost. I don't, you know, Lord and Miller, are they, are they scripting it for the second one? I'm sure uh, they're involved to some degree, but I'm... It's, know, it's difficult to know with it? Lord and Miller now because they have so sure. many projects that they seem to be shepherding sure. um, and how much but they're it's involved definitely, in any. I definitely know there are different... There are, you know, I think the first one had three directors. This one has a different three directors. You've got the kind of Sony Spider-Man of it all where, you know, you're never quite sure. <laughs> you're kind of never quite sure how... How much Sony are trying to milk or trying to make good things? Like I, I kind of I can't track it. I liked Venom, but you know, but I also that vet the the Venom project is like just like a, a wafer away from being 
some kind of weird cash cow project. I just it's tricky. I don't know if I I don't, I don't know if I should be excited about Spider Verse two. I don't know. I mean, I am. Um, I'm just looking on the IMDb. Lord and Miller are, cr- are currently credited on there as writers and producers, okay, okay. not exact okay. producers, okay. but right, uh, you know, actively involved. So, hopefully, um, you know, I kind of, I, I, I am very excited about more Spider Verse. <laughs> I can't, I can't not be. The first one was so good. Um, and do you think and... there's any risk? Do you think there's any risk that that all the other friggin' multiverse stuff that is that is coming so much of it so much multiverse no. multi multiverse is going to eat the lunch of spider-verse no because that because the joy of spider-verse wasn't the multiverse stuff it was all of the yeah, that's right. that you know, it was like the realization of the miles morales idea i think and how much that resonated is what you know when i think about that film i think about the moment he puts on his suit for the first time and he's falling yeah. through the air and i i think it has you know as successfully as any comic book adaptation sold that idea mm. of anyone can be a hero yeah i mean arguably it's 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 a really good lesson for all the multiverse stuff because it th- that movie doesn't succeed because you have sp- various versions of spider-man with each other it, it it succeeds because you've told a really properly great emotional story at, at, yeah. as the through line using the multiverse stuff to accentuate that, sure, but you've told a great story, yeah. and so and it's, it's not going enough to have Michael Keaton hanging out with, yeah, exactly with the Ezra Miller Flash. That's not going to be enough, you know. Yeah. Use that to tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. So that is this week's comic book movie and TV news. We will take a brief pause now uh, and listen to the trailer for The Old Guard, and then we will be back with our spoiler-filled review of the movie. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Who are you? You can call me Andy. I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Mother? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. You've got questions, kid. You want answers? I have the new one. And? I think she has potential. (laughs) See, you're already healing faster. You're gonna do great. So you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop hurting. (laughs) Throughout history, we've protected this world, fighting in the shadows. It's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we live in today. Would you like me to take one for you? Oh, thank you so much. There you go. Thank you. These are extraordinary individuals. They are extremely resistant to capture. They're going to lock us up and weaponize us. But they've never faced an army like ours. An army of five. Shit, let's start a band. If we can unlock their genetic code, the entire world will be begging us for the key. You shouldn't have done that. We don't have all the answers. But we do have purpose. I strongly recommend that we leave right now. Let's move! Wait for the signal. How the hell can you even tell? Okay, so James, um, listeners to our Patreon will have heard us talking about the Old Guard comic this week, and Mm. I had already, uh, I'd watched the Old Guard when it came out on Netflix last year, but you hadn't, so your experience reading that was 
pure comic, nothing, no context of the movie. And I said when we finished that, I'm so interested to see what you think of the movie because <laughs> you were kind of very lukewarm on the comic. You were like, yeah, it's Ooh. it's fine, but it's one of those comics that I kind of feel like I've read versions of this a lot of times before and you know it's you know it's okay but i don't know what about this it was that made made you know netflix go yeah we're gonna stick x million dollars behind that how did you find the movie i think it was a very bold decision to make an action movie that isn't fun (laughs) i was i was waiting for something fun to happen and it didn't it was the most morose action movie i've ever seen is that a bad thing is that a negative review it it was a choice it was a creative choice it was not one that i enjoyed i don't think it was a bad execution of that choice i just don't get why you would make a movie so so dull (laughs) oh i completely disagree yeah this movie is good yeah this movie's great it's fine it's fine i don't hate it i just i would never watch it again or recommend anyone else did (laughs) (laughs) no it's good but i couldn't ever i couldn't ever tell anyone else to watch it i mean that i think james you think it's bad i can't i don't know how else to get that (laughs) what you just said no what it is right is that it's well made and it's got a lot of creative choices that i think are well executed I just, I wouldn't want anyone to spend two hours watching it on my recommendation and come to me and say, James, wasn't there anything fun I could have watched instead? <laughs> but does, but, I, right, I get wow. it is, it is not, it's not a, an action movie that is peppered with jokes. It's very self-serious. <laughs> it's very self-serious. Are there any jokes? No, there, no. I think but, there are no jokes. But but i kind of think that's fine and like this this to me is like there aren't there aren't many jokes in like i don't know i guess there are there's more like not jokes but more moments you might chuckle at in something like mad max fury road which i'm thinking of because of charlie's but then i'm also thinking of the atomic blondes and john wicks and I don't think they're really peppered with jokes. Well, this either. is okay. This is my thing. Those movies are stylish. This is just people shooting automatic weapons at each other for no, hours and hours and hours. No, you're so wrong. The only the only time I thought, oh, this might be a good movie, is when they're having the fight in the plane. I thought that was really good, and then nothing else in the film got even close to that. No, the action is 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 yeah, so yeah. precise. It's well choreographed, so, no, but that's not no, the no, same no. as cool. No, the action is saying something. The, the, those sequences are transmitting an emotion to you you're supposed to feel something <laughs> no, that, based I, on I, the I, action on the reaction on the sort of action movie <laughs> milieu the general milieu they show you the wounds they show you the heroes being hurt it's the point a point is being made and, and the, by the, the end that's <laughs> such a build for me movie is that, good that only that only works for me in the plane fight because when they're having the plane fight i was a bit like oh this is a like a sex scene but a fight and that was i thought really good because it was a really intimate like close quartered you know exchange of power and i thought that was a really good um action scene and then the rest of it was just if these jokers were in any other action movie they would have been dead in seconds just people getting shot in the back all the time (laughs) so um i guess why i really disagree i mean like i i think the action in this is 
well choreographed, it's coherent, and for a movie which, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't generally my vibe um, of action movie, it, I don't love guns, um, but I think for a movie that's doing all of this stuff, I think they do put a lot of thought into the execution of it, and yes, they die a lot, because that is, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's kind of in, inherent to the premise, <laughs> which we should go through in a minute. Um, but yeah, they, I, I, and I, I kind of love the, I love the self-seriousness of it because I think that Charlie Theron's giving a very good performance. In fact, I think that this is a movie, for a movie of this size and this, you know, and this genre, it's got a lot of good actors giving a lot of good performances. And I think there is, I think there's a real sense. I think it's a very deliberately paced movie mm-hmm. um, that really does feel like, and I feel like you go on a journey with Andy, Charlie's Throne's character, and the rest of the cast of. You meet these characters who are the ultimate, you know, burden superheroes. They've all got this insane superpower, but they're all so fed up with it. They they've lost they've lost any joy that there is, or most of them have lost any joy that there is to life. And you see them through these just you know, just semi-regular moments throughout the film which just injects this like the, these little moments of humanity that get that pep up the characters to the point where at the end i think what in the comic feels like oh well that's the end of the prelude adventure i think at the end of the movie feels like this really positive life-affirming moment i'm i'm just i'm not opposed (laughs) to watching a movie where the primary emotion is on we i just think that doesn't mesh well with having a group of people storming a building for a gunfight like it just the the emotional disconnect was way too severe for me, um, and I did I didn't go on that journey. Like when they're sitting around going like, oh, you know, we're all morose about having to be alive forever. You're just like, no one's making you be like a, a team of mercenaries. Like go carve wood or something. I don't know. No, but Find that's the, that, fun to do. But that's they the, can't that, do anything else. That's that's the setup of the movie that they haven't been together for so. Okay, and so let's let's do the setup of the movie. We have Charlie Theron playing Andy, uh, Matthias Schoenhart's playing Bucker. Um, you've got um, a CIA agent um, called Copley, played by Chiwetel <laughs> A Very British CIA agent. Yes, which they have a, a quick <laughs> a quick line to dismiss. Um, Harry Melling, who you would know as Dudley Dursley from uh, the Harry Potter movies and also mm. has a very memorable role in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He uh, plays a farmer, a, a farmer CEO called Stephen Merrick. Uh, you have got Marwan Kenzari, who I guess is best known as Sexy Jafar from um, Aladdin as Joe. <laughs> and um, then Luca Marinelli, who I think probably best known from Martin Eden, um, is oh, yeah. uh, is Nikki. And um, you, so you've got these... And, and then Kiki Lane, who plays Niall. Uh, you've got this band of... Uh, it's Charlie Theron and Joe, Nicky and Bucker to begin with. They are, as you said, this band of mercenaries who have the superpower of being almost immortal. So they can, they heal. They're, they're kind of like Wolverines in that they heal from their wounds. They do die, but every time they die, they come back to life until eventually they don't. 
at some point, and we we know this because um, Andy had someone that was part of the team previously who eventually died and didn't come back. At some point, they will die. Um, we meet Andy and her group at the start of the movie. We also meet Niall, who is a US Marine. Uh, she gets a throat slit while she's on a on a mission, but comes back to life and recovers and doesn't have a scar or a scratch or anything. Um, the team of mercenaries dream of her and they dream of someone every time, you know, kind of someone new manifests their abilities and they go and recruit her to the team. Um, at the same time, the CIA agent played by Chiwetel Ejiofor has set them up um, and the farmer bro wants to get his hands on the members of the team so he can test on them, uh, you know, ostensibly for the betterment of humanity so he can kind of bring their power of immortality or of healing to the world whilst making a lot of money from it as a as a pharmaceutical CEO. So that's kind of the setup. Reese, why does it work so much better for you than it works for James? You know what I had in my head, you know, I I I don't always watch the movies we watch for this with all the other movies we just watched in my head for this, but I kept on thinking about about 300 and about Wanted actually in some ways. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Wanted you have the kind of behind the scenes uh, you know, mercenary element to it, sure. But but I thought m- more for those two. What I had in my head was the 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 negative reaction I had to the, both those movies. Both those movies, which the kind of the violence, the, the um, glorification of violence element that both those films have, which you know is just an action movie sort of kind of staple. You know, how do you how do you have a, a you know a, a slickly produced action film where the heroes are you know, doing murder uh, uh, in action <laughs> scenes um, and not glorify the the violence, really. And then I think this film comes along and it just trying to trying to do the trying to do the exact, you know, trying to do the exact opposite. And 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 I think from about half an hour, because I, I, I had watched this about a year ago, um, but I, it was after a night out and I basically didn't remember having watched it, but to really engage with it yesterday uh, and I just I found it so I found it very I found it really interesting that that I thought that was such a such a take to, of the film, you know, to tie in the idea of these characters, yes, you know, be, be, yes, being sort of with the, the melancholy they have, the malaise, but but to kind of tie in the action sequences with with that, you know, to in my view, you 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 watch those action sequences and they are slick and there are odd, the odd moment of kind of where it's, it looks quite cool, but most of the time you can still in some part of your brain enjoy the sequence for doing that, but on the other side of your, your brain, you're engaging with this idea that the movie wants you to engage with of, you know, fe- dwell on the violence, you know, mm. feel the violence, feel these char- feel the anguish that these characters are going through to inflict this, to have, in, to have had this inflicted on them for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. And again, for, for a, you know, a Netflix a, you know, a Netflix actioner that came out last year to based on a comic to be to be to be, I think, trying to trying to come come across from a director, by the way, who has not directed an actual before to be trying to do to almost to be trying to do anything in, in the current sort of movie market. I just found so compelling and that, you know, and that that maybe that kind of the, 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 the active intellectual bit of my brain that was engaging with that just had me in for the rest of the movie. I, and, and then I and then I found myself emotionally connecting with the characters kind of off of that. Really, my, yeah. my problem with that reading is that towards the end of the movie, you get Niall say like, oh, I killed the guy who killed me. I don't want to, don't want to, 
perpetrate violence against anyone ever again. And then she drives away, changes her mind, comes back and shoots a load of people. Yeah, I do. I, I, I kind of agree with you, actually. I do agree with you that t- towards the end, and especially especially kind of how the the movie ends up, the setup at the end, which, which you know, by the sounds of things, I haven't read the comic, but by the sounds of things is the kind of, is the setup the, of the first the, the, of the comic. The, the plot of the comic is pretty much identical to the plot of the movie. They just mm. make, they make, some adaptation choices along the way which we will get into which i think are kind mm. of you know consistently very smart adaptation choices mm. so it follows the same basic plot but it okay. has a couple of tweaks in there that i think are quite smart but i, I do think you know maybe i i guess i i guess 80 percent of it you know the first 80 percent was was what i had was what i've just described and the ending didn't pull me back from that enough to make me dislike it but i but i i do kind of agree with you you know you know that the bit at the end where yeah where you you know again you've you've lived with these characters going through all this stuff and being sad and it's all so crap and then at the end they kind of double down on being superhero secret agents working for the seat working for a cia guy for the rest of it and and yeah and the one character who's tried to reject reject that has actually ended up jumping out of a window and you know crushing harry melling on a car on a volvo you know how how does one how's one supposed to feel about that i'm not yes See, that is a, it's a little tricky it's a little tricky i, think. I don't yeah. think i i don't think i read it as a um as a you know an explicitly like anti-violence action movie because i think you know kind of inherently to make this movie and be purely making a point about violence and and, and all that kind of stuff being bad and evil and you should never do it that that's you know that those two things don't shine together and i don't think that the movie is making a hard point about that but i think it is being deliberate in making you making you reckon with the violence and making you reckon with the with how you know that even even though kiki lane's character does make the decision to in at the end you know get back involved and and hurt people um that you know it's it it's like they're fighting a war and they're doing it for a greater purpose um and that that you know i think the action is very well staged i think it's uh, like especially that last sequence where they're all kind of like swiveling around and trying to protect andy from being shot and taking bullets on her behalf like and the way that kind of wolverine-esque and i think you know wolverine at various points got away from this but you know there are, there's there's moments in that first x-men movie where he talks about the pain of the claws coming out and you actually you know get the sense of you know every strike or every bullet being you know really painful even if you know you're going to heal from it um and I, I i do think that like the the violence i think that the film is making a point of the violence having consequences you know it, it, deliberately because this is a movie where the the violence for our protagonists they can heal from it immediately and I think you know some some of the some of the imagery is pretty distressing. You know when they have been shot and killed, and or like you know Bucker gets gutted at one point, and um, yeah. So I, I don't think it is. You know, I don't think in the car after the drop at the end is is yes gruesome. It's yeah, gruesome. With, her, with her bones clicking back into place and stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I don't think it's a movie that's being pious, but I think it's a movie that at least wants you to reckon with and consider the violence because these are people who, you know, kind of inherently have to live by it. Um, Whereas, you know, if you contrast that with a, a, a clear kind of progenitor to this, you know, the John Wick movies, I, I think I've always found those almost the, the almost the opposite end of that, where, you know, especially with the kind of digital bloods, the digital squib kind of the place we are with that, those 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 sequences of violence feel so feel so disconnected from 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 violence uh, mm. to, to a way that i i've never i just don't think i've ever i, I i'm not sure i've really liked those movies in the way that the culture seems to have and, and i i, think <laughs> I definitely don't i i you don't like, like them i liked the first one I've only seen the first one, but that was enough to put me off watching the next two. Okay, okay. So we're, we're an anti-John Wick podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, okay. I think that, the, and James, your, your point about them being mercenaries, they are mercenaries who, you know, the, the, the job they take at the start of this movie is to try and rescue some girls who've been, you know, caught up in a trafficking ring. They're, they're taking on yeah and, and in the past they've been fighting on wars and especially in the post credits with some of the in the credits with some of the like photographs and stuff that are shown i think the the clear implication is they've always kind of gone and fought for the side that they think is going to make the world a better place and so it's not that they're mercenaries just trying to make money they are they've they've spent for some of them hundreds for some of them thousands of years trying to fight to make the world better and why and and the sense of melancholy in this movie is they're going, fucking hell! It's it's twenty twenty and the world is as mm. fucked as it's ever been. We've been doing this for so long, and what are we actually doing? And it's, mm. and and is someone going to come along and put me out of my misery? Um, and and, and, I'm, and yeah, I'm not sure the ending for me really is accounted to that enough. Perhaps you know of like. Hey, I love some, the ending. You've, mm, okay, you've saved That's... some people, and they've affected people, and everything. It was worth it, and they, you, or the look on their faces, yeah, they the, agree with that. I just didn't, the, I didn't my buy problem, that. I didn't buy it. My problem with the ending is like. How many people that you saved went on to commit atrocities? Because that's probably happened to <laughs> Like, no. I just, I didn't buy that <laughs> at all. Not point. in the slightest. So that was something that I thought, James, that we talked about in the comic about, you know, they, they introduced this element of, okay, so they are, they are immortal, but why are they immortal? And, and, you know, and that's something that the film spends a lot more time asking than the comic does. And in the mm -hmm. comic, you know, you said there's the moment where the farmer bro goes, well, it, you know, it, 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 or so someone says to the farmer bro, like, have you considered that, you know, this isn't science, yeah. that there is something My, my favourite fucking moment from the comic didn't make it into the film. <laughs> but, <laughs> Which but is I then think... saying, maybe it's something beyond science. That is the one interesting thing in the comic, and it no, didn't make it into the film. But that's what I think that the movie is, is taking as a... And whilst it doesn't have that moment, it has that as a wider thread of these characters constantly asking why... And that, yes, you, the, the the antagonist is just going, surely it's science. And the answer is, it is something more um, supernatural. And, you know, and, and Andy talks about having once been worshipped as a god. As and, a you, god yeah. and you have Kiki Lane's faith being an important aspect of the film as well. And I think that... The, There's a sequence in the church, right? That's yes. Like, and actually, it's there. That's not, that's not unintentional. And I think that, you know, the ending being... Look, 
you've been doing this for centuries and you've been doing it unquestioningly and but let let me tell you i think you know i can't be certain but i'm pretty sure that all of the 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 stuff you have been doing does have this positive ripple effect and so i you know that does suggest to me that no they haven't been killing people who or saving people who've gone on to commit atrocities because they are almost you know that they've been burdened with Loki's glorious purpose, you know? Mm, I just, I don't get a sense of any sort of design to what they've been doing. Yeah, I'm... I'm that's I'm, that's I'm why the general. ending doesn't work for me. Well, it's not yeah, their design, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a higher power. I just, I don't think that's in the movie. I mean, I, yeah, yeah no. I don't, I'm with James on this. I, I, didn't, I didn't get that from the film at all. I think you could probably argue for it, but it certainly didn't come across for me. Because, because the, I think because of the the... The style of the film is is very grounded. So I think Joe, Joe what you're talk, what you're talking about is in is in the is in the script to an, to an extent. Those you know the characters are addressing those ideas, but I I kind of think the you know the 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 delivery of the you know the, the the cinematography the performances are so are so grounded. I I think you need a bit more of a sense of some kind of stylish flourish when a character is you know is is out is out cold or something something to connect those grounded characters with that, something of a higher power and i don't yeah i agree there's not like there's no sense of wonder in this movie it is all very pedestrian by design but it just means that it doesn't really hint at anything grander happening i wouldn't use the, i wouldn't go pedestrian i'd say grounded i think that's my preferred term <laughs> and james sure. is but no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree that the the execution of the film is grounded, um, but I, I I don't know how to read that ending other than I don't, otherwise you have to just go. <laughs> it's cheesy as fuck. No, it's just coincidence. Like that's the. Well, no, that's the thing. It's just it's it's cheesy to me because the they've purposefully like dumbed it down in order to say actually it's good that you're doing all this because look at this wall I've got. But they, that has half the story. But they've they've always done things with the intent of being good. These aren't like these aren't mercenaries. They are people who have gone right. Okay, we're living for all these years. We are going to fight for the thing that we believe in, and fight for and take the jobs. You know, they, Copley doesn't Jim. come to Copley doesn't come to them and say, "I want you to murder these guys." They, she, he goes, "I want you to save these kids." Yeah, but That's, Copley's Copley's version of morality is. Well, if we knew why you were immortal, we could maybe do much more good. And I, I'm more on his side. Like, obviously, I'm not pro-human vivisection, but it seems that the the team itself has a staggering lack of originality and you know invention when it comes to making the world a better place. Because their idea is, well, let's kill the bad guys, and that should fix things. Like yeah, is that is that really if if we all had immortality, is that how we would try and improve the world? Well, they they're warriors. They're all warriors. Yeah, that's, maybe that's they their, should have. That's their you thing. Know. Yeah, I just I can't get behind it. <laughs> I view the ending more as like you know between the so between the two of you, I think I had a third take, which was almost more of a. a again a more grounded one which is which is just as just like in that i find i, I you know i think the church scene is great and, and kiki Lane walking out and just sort of looking one by one at all of the men that um andy has killed quite, quite brutally but just you know the camera just lingers on the dead bodies you know in that same way that the movie wants to remind you of the you know of the people that the characters have killed right those snuffed out lives in the end 
that ending is 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 just a is it is it not just a it's a reminder of hey those people that you saved you know those individuals went on to live lives and you know I, I don't think I don't think the movie's saying you would you know you've been chosen to save these people and they were going to do these things but it's more like you know it's just sort of the stuffing out the ending of stories versus the 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 possible future of stories right you save these people so they go on to do things they don't all go on to do things but enough of them <laughs> do and you've been around it long enough that you have you have put good into the world from doing this. but you also iced a bunch of people who could have done any number of good things yeah, so I, I, I just completely disagree with that. <laughs> I think, see, I think that's something that you're bringing to the movie more than I'm bringing my thing. James or me? Uh, James more, but I like I, I, I just think that like all of the stuff is thematically in there, and it's the questions that they're asking, and it's the it's the things that they're ruminating on, and you know, it like it doesn't they they have this superpower, and they're asking why they've got it and you know the the you know the link in the movie that they make as well which is you know i think probably the biggest adaptation choice that the the film takes which is when kiki lane's powers manifest andy loses hers and so she doesn't have her immortality come the end of the movie and that like again that that happening at the same time and you know and and the fact that this is a movie that's their power is resurrection i just do think that there is i i think there's a religious aspect to it i think man of steel's got more of a religious aspect to it than this well yeah superman (laughs) (laughs) yeah quite i I, like to just to talk about that specific change as well i thought that was weak as fuck i just i don't know what they were doing with it why if it felt to me like they went oh you know if these characters can't die what what are the stakes for them? And they went, oh, actually, this one can die. And it's like, well, they could already die. What's the, sorry, what's that? So in the comic, there's in that, the in the comic, and Andy, Andy in doesn't lose. In yeah, the, she, certainly in the first volume, model. she doesn't. Yeah, mm. yeah. And in in the movie, it's a big deal that actually she's lost her immortality and doesn't heal anymore, and but is now a human. It's a really big deal. <laughs> I yeah, don't right. Think, but it's not it's not just something that adds stakes. It's something that triggers, you know, a lot a lot of characters to to reckon with the situation. So I think, yeah, it does it does add a lot of stakes to that final battle because we, you know, we talked about James in the comic that that final sequence does feel a bit like, okay, and now we go on to the to the next mission. It's like once they're in there, it's just it's just a case of shooting their way out. Um, I did. I did love. I, I did love the protecting of her, and I and I. I also loved. You know. I think it does. You know, it does. It does lend stakes when when that character now can die, and I don't think that. I don't think that's any did, less. Did you honestly expect her to die at any point, though? Because I sure as hell didn't. I just um... went. Well, she's she's Charlie Theron. She's a main character. They're not going to kill her. Um. I don't know. I didn't. I no. I don't think she was. I didn't think she was. You know. It just yeah. felt it felt like a narrative flourish to me. In fact, I I was wondering, are they going to give her immortality back at the end of the movie? Like now that she believes in the mission again, but they didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought, I'd, I thought they I'd did. read that last year that 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 is how it ended, and so that is what <laughs> well, I was the ending of the movie happen. is when she's sending Booker away, and he goes, "Well, if I'm going away for a hundred years, I'll never see you again." And she's mm. like, "Oh, don't be so sure." Mm. And it's like, "Well, are you a mortal or are you not?" 
Because well, it, it felt to me like they wanted to have their cake. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be engaged by that question. You're supposed to be engaged. It's not well. You know, yeah. of course it's that, but it also you are supposed to wonder why. I think that's. It's not. It's not. For yeah, you I to just, think that is not again. That the movie wants you to think that. You know, you're it not, felt to me like screenwriting. Easy come, easy go. Or easy go, easy come in that way. <laughs> I think I think a lot of it comes down to James whether you had engaged with and liked the characters up to that point because you know I I thought the characters were well written I just thought the developments in the plot were not okay um I really like them as a group and I like them as a group a lot more than mm. I like them in the comic because I think yeah I think in the comic we talked about how thin the character well, interactions are outside of uh, Andy and Niall. But in this, yeah. they feel like a really coherent unit, and I think that I think they make a couple of of, of smart but small changes. Um, and I think the pacing of the movie has a lot to do with it. It, it is two hours long, and um, you know it, it it's it doesn't always zip along outside of the action. But yeah, and, and but the you know the music that they choose, the songs that are in there, the score. It does feel like it's a movie that wants you to kind of like be taking it at a steady pace and really feel like that these are these are characters for whom, you know, life has life has gone on for a long, long time. <laughs> and, you know, it wants you to feel their ennui. And I think the smart adaptation choices that it makes are when you meet the team in the first place, that there is just there's there's that sense of how comfortable they are around each other of of all of them being in a slightly different place that yeah they're all kind of burdened with this but joe and nikki aren't quite as burdened because they have each other andy is so old that she is just completely done with this and it's not and i think that the difference between the comic in the comic it's like i'm so old i don't I'd like when is this going to end when is death going to going to snap me out of this whereas in the film it's more Oh, I've lo- I, I've just lost the sense of purpose. Like, I I think the the comic does it when it reveals the Bucker twist, but it doesn't bed it in as much. Whereas Andy, the whole way through this, seems like someone who is give me a reason to live, and I think that's also why the why the her losing her immortality works is it's just yeah it's a it's a nice bit of dramatic irony that as soon as she finds purpose again that's when her immortality is taken from well that, that's when it's revealed to her to her sorry she loses it before that moment yes yeah but well yeah but it's it's the arrival of niall that that awakens that sense of purpose for her like is it, that uh, is that uh, in the movie that that niall's awakening is what undoes her immortality it, no but charlie says that's what i think you know do you know what i think i think you're yeah. coming along has triggered that. So yeah, I, I I really like the easy chemistry between that team. I like the hangout vibe in the first act of the movie where they're just kind of chilling in rooms together. And then one of the key things that I think the movie does that I... I James, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the comic does do. Mm-hmm. In the comic... Um, Andy goes off to recruit Niall and when she comes back they've been attacked and Joe and Nikki have been taken. So Niall only ever meets Bucker. Whereas she gets a real time just hanging out with the entire crew in this. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and again, I think like I really like those scenes of her having a chance to interact with everyone here um, and getting a sense of whether she would want to be a part of this crew. And I think it, it and, and it still has some of the nice touches from the comic about. Uh, you know, what the history of these characters were, why she needs to say goodbye to her family, etc. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> Although she does make a good point where she's like, you know, I could still have a good 10 years with my family and they wouldn't even mm-hmm. notice. And they're just yeah. like, no, no, you're with us now. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to kill, you have to declare yourself dead and come into hiding. And it's like, really? Straight away? <laughs> well, they let it go. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, begrudgingly. <laughs> But there, there are there are there are moments of, I think so there are the, there's the odd there are a the couple of flashback moments that really drive home how they operate in the you know in the modern timeline right you've got the obviously you've got the Andy with what's her name the 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 lady from the past did she, did she get a name in the movie Quinn right yes. you know that that I think that I think is the most affecting moment in the film when Which you, is you know you're with when you're with the uh, invented for the film. Sure. Well, I mean, that... Nor- Noriko exists in the comics. So, yeah, they no, just sorry. transpose that, those characters. Yeah. yeah, I just mean that 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 bit with you know when you, the, you're just really with her with Noriko in the in the in the suit in the in the water, and you just for me, I was just I just was really I couldn't stop thinking. I was you know I was trying to go to bed last night. I was just thinking. That's like yeah, that, that, a proper that, fate worse than death. That is absolutely that, that for me was the horrifying, like, you know? most memorable part of the film was like the idea, yeah. yeah, of being stuck at the bottom of the ocean, constantly drowning. Dying. Yeah, and that's that's Which, what I'm saying. For hundreds is, of years, is hundreds invented. of years, right? Yeah, yeah and sure. and uh, Andy's like, you know, self-loathing at like, oh, I said I'd 100%. find her, but I didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. those moments really landed for me, and then the fucking the final scene. Well, where we'll she get turns that, up, no, sure. turns up in Booker's apartment, and you're like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" But the point I wanted to make was that you have that that sequence, which is so memorable and and emotive, and also I think you have, you know, it's not quite it's not quite the same, but I think the Booker, you know, and it's more, I think it's more the acting performance in voiceover, but then you you know you're getting the visuals of him talking to his son, and and obviously the the, the, you know, the writing of that sequence, mm-hmm. but that also is so. It's just very affecting, and and those two pieces, I think, they 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 connect you with how these characters, with why these characters are doing what they do in the modern day. So so like the you know the Booker twist, you I just you kind of get it. You just you get yeah. why you just get why he does it, and you also kind of get why they kind of just take him back, why he's with them again, and then also why he's exiled. You just kind of even though what's happening on, on the on paper is is crazy you know, sort of in, you know it's crazy but you know it's it's <laughs> this this kind of fantasy narrative but it's for me it, it, it it's so it really you emotionally connect with all of those with the through lines of those of those pieces and that's that's that is that is fantasy storytelling at, at its best for me yeah. yeah the the drowning underwater scene <laughs> Uh, we sh- we should we we really should dwell on that idea or oh, that 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 please, aspect please of don't, the movie. Don't make me. Please, I'm asking so, not to make me do that. <clears throat> in the comic, Andy, yeah, she she has like, I think that, does the character is it exist, James, or is it just uh, the character in the movie is Noriko in the comic is Noriko, but here it's Quinn. Yeah. Because basically they cast a Vietnamese actress and she said, can I make the character Vietnamese? And they went, sure. Yeah. We'll change the, change the name and backstory. But in the, in the comic, she just dies. 
Yeah. Whereas here, yeah, the twist. Well, she is... she's she is thrown into the ocean in the comic, but I don't I don't remember if they have her in the Iron Maiden type thing. No, they definitely they definitely don't. Yeah, she a... she just dies when she falls overboard and is lost. So here it's like, and it's she's the first immortal that Andy has befriended. One of the adaptation choices they also uh, make is to remove this flashback sequence where Andy settles down with a mortal man. Um, and I I feel like the decision there might have been to add some... the sense that her soulmate was Quinn, rather than, you know, in the same way that Joe and Nikki had found each other, that her soulmate was Quinn. I think you're supposed to... You're supposed, that's, your, that's the conclusion you're sort of yeah. trying to make. Yeah. And yeah. so they've, they've been... They've been fighting alongside each other for centuries. They are in. Uh, they are tried as witches, and when they're burnt alive, they don't die. People. They are tried to be killed again and again and again. And then Quinn is that they the the guys who've been torturing them decide. Right. Well, what? How is the way? How do we deal with the witch who won't die? Yeah, we're gonna put her in an eye maiden and throw her to the bottom of the sea, and. That idea is horrific in and of itself, <laughs> but the the because all of this team are connected as well, and because they dream of each other, and when Niall gets her powers, she dreams of her. That the mm. others have had to feel her pain and have had to and have had to know what she's been going through, and that's and so you sense that that's something also that they've been having to grapple with for hundreds of years. Well, so this is something that I wondered, right? I thought, oh, is the reason Niall had that dream is because she, like, is there an implication that she's the resurrected version of Quinn? But that is completely undercut by the end of the movie. No, but, yeah, but I don't think that that what, yeah, that's not, a, that's not in there, is it? Because, yeah, it's not undercut. Yeah. It just, it just means that that's not the, that's not what they were going for. Yeah, although... Then the idea that they're experiencing what what Quinn is experiencing sort of in real time when they dream makes me think if that was true, they wouldn't as a group have wanted to stop looking for her because they, they literally feel her pain. Yes, but I want... I, so I, I think the implication was, it. you know, they looked for her for so long that they were like... And because right, the ocean's massive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that they, they were just like, this is impossible. And so, yeah, maybe they did spend a hundred years trying to find her and just cut it. But again, like a failure of invention, because half the point of this movie is like things are possible now that weren't possible in the past. Like they find, they make a point of how quick it is for them to find Niall when in the past it would have taken hundreds of years. Yeah, I think oh, I think you need to. One suspects to... that will come up in the sequel, right? Like you could yeah, that and, would be a and line that's, that will spoken be spoken part... by Quinn in a second. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you could have found me with a James Cameron, you know, undersea sub. Bring yeah. in twenty five minutes. Elon come Musk on. has got these submarines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where were you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think again, like. If you're not going with the rest of the movie, you're not going to go with concepts like that. Whereas I'm just like, I, you know, time is... They have been around for so long that her dying five... I, I kind of believe that Andy spends a year every every 50 years going and looking for her again and failing. Mm. And I think the, the implication with Niall dreaming of her is at that point, 
she's still stuck underwater. And it's only in the intervening oh, six months that she manages to get out. So I think she's been stuck there for 500 years. I don't think she's really? been... Really? I think so, oh, yeah. That is... That is a, that's a jump for me, but... Uh... Okay, interesting. This is, I, I just think she can't have been there for that long because if she was, her mind would be... Been just mush. Just yeah, absolutely cream, eviscerated. Yeah. yeah, Like, you couldn't go mm. through that level of torture for 500 years and come out being like, ah, oh, nice to meet mm. you, guy I've never seen. No, mm. but I don't think she is, like, nice to meet you. I think she's, like... She literally she's... says, like, ah, oh, it's, it's nice to finally meet you or something. Yeah, but in a kind of villainy way. like Yeah, uh... but she should be in a comatose way. <laughs> she's an immortal being who has a higher purpose (laughs) 500 years of trauma yeah yeah anyone even for an immortal if you spent like a quarter of your life being you know tortured and yeah maimed you wouldn't come out of it coherent well because also the the movie the movie makes a makes a but the movie makes a point of reminding you time and again that these are there is no power to these characters versus that they they don't die right they aren't they 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 aren't special humans they are like normal humans except they can't die and so yeah they're just skilled at fighting because they've been doing it for so long because they've been around for fucking thousands of years the whole point of the film is that it's traumatic for them Mm. to be living in this way that is unnatural for humans but i gotta say the more we talk about you know we we, we, you know we've we've now spent a decent percentage of our chat of this whole move this whole movie about this one character and the ending it does it's a it's a great ending it's like an ending that really assuming you are assuming you've been you know you're into the film but boy oh boy you want to watch that sequel because you are like what you know this oh this character's back what you know what the hell? I'll this be honest. She might, must be crazy. What's the dynamic? I'm yeah. so into the sequel. Yeah, that's it. I want to. I like. I want to know how yeah. how fucked up she is when she oh, comes yeah. back, and how angry she is, and yeah. and and what what the fallout from that is. Yes, I'd like. I'm willing to grant the film a bit of dramatic license that you know it will have fundamentally changed her personality, but she can still be a character in this next movie. <laughs> Um, and and I, really, I really, I like, really hope what they get she, around. What to could she it. want? Because you got, you know, you got, you got your four, your, your five immortals in this that all seem to represent, you know, slightly different. Perhaps not, um, not, not the couple. They, they kind of glob into one. But you know, the, at least those, the other four, including them, represent different, different angles on what, where you would be at if you were immortal and had been around for five, for hundreds of years. And so, you know, what is this? What is this Queen character? What could? What's she going to want to do? You know, is she going to want to destroy the world? Going to want to? just kill the immortals gonna want to kill herself like what could she what could be her motivation i'm intrigued i think the only motivation you could possibly have is like to find out why the fuck people left me like that like why did people who are my friends not find me yeah i don't think there's going to be any grand villain plan i don't like to exact revenge And how, how, what, and what, and, you know, what, how long she has had to think of this revenge, how long she's had to dwell on the pain and suffering she was put through, and whether that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, how she could get back at Andy, or, you know, just, is, is there a way of Andy reaching her? Like, I, it's, it's good fantasy storytelling I just stuff. think, I just think for a film that wants to dwell on the realism of what, what it would be like to be a mortal... It, to then check it away in the service of some supervillain plan would be a massive 
a massive cell phone because it would undercut well, everything it's trying to do. Anyway, let's not review the sequel that <laughs> does not exist, not exist yeah. and hasn't been is not in production. Let's not review uh, negative review been, that film. It's been greenlit, right? It has been yeah. greenlit. Yeah, I think they I, I think they talked about making a sequel pretty much straight away after this. Um because you know it was it was well reviewed it was it was watched by a lot of people if we you know believe Netflix's numbers um and it felt like especially on the movie side that Netflix hasn't had many movies that have cut through in the way that the old guard did um and s- certainly not when they've been making movies movies that are in this mold the ones that seem to have been successful for them are they are the kind of you know the the, like the cheaper like teen rom-coms or you know um what's the hemsworth movie called rake or something what's it called the the what the what's the hemsworth movie called what's it called rake I don't know. shelf the one where he's the he's a he's a he's a army guy behind the trying to get yeah. somebody out extraction what's it called extraction what's, what's, <laughs> sorry what's, what's rake <laughs> Sorry, I think his character is called Rake. And right, okay. Rake. That's why I was saying Rake. Sorry, sorry. Apologies. Apologies. <laughs> but that's to my, my very my very first comment on this film. Or Six Underground, which well, that was the the Michael Bay Ryan Reynolds one, which didn't this movie really shouldn't be good. Either. It shouldn't it shouldn't even be average. It should be bad. All of these in this mold have been have been bad. Have been like just also rants with with a star and kind of they're weirdly expensive, but nobody cares. This is a this is, movie is good. And it shouldn't be, and it, and it sounds like from what, how you guys are describing it, it's not even based on a particularly, you know, it's not even, it's been adapted quite kind of, they've made some big changes. So I just... Well, they have, like, that, that's, like, that's, that's actually a weirdly close adaptation. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. what's really curious about it, is that it is a weirdly curious, ad, weirdly close adaptation that has just made, like, a couple of tweaks here and there. Like, the story follows the exact same format. It's just that Andy loses her Im- immortality at a certain mm. point. Okay. They give a couple of characters a bit more depth or slightly tweak the backstory, like we were saying with with Andy uh, not having this, you know, former partner and instead maybe uh, Quinn being her soulmate. Mm. Uh, they give it the... She was alleged for character, him grieving a wife who was lost to ALS is new and also him becoming ally by the end of the film is new but in terms of like the key beats of the plot it really it is really similar and i mean that makes sense because it was written by greg rucker as well yes yes so and we yeah so greg rucker adapted this from his own comic um and and yeah we've but those are precise those are those are impactful you know precise yes but impactful changes what you've just described those are kind of this is like a, this is a well adapted story, right? Which again, I think it's almost weirdly can be quite a rare beast. They just take an I, you know, Hollywood yeah. just takes IP and goes, yeah, well, you know, just sort of make it look enough like the thing, and people will go and people and don't change too much, and people will like it. Whereas this is like, no, let's take it. We're not we're not going to radically change it. We'll sort of do what it is, but let's just let's, let's just make these precise little changes, you know, that that really enhance can really enhance. What we're trying to do here we can really enhance the themes. I, I just yeah. And I'm Rucker is credited as the sole screenwriter, but I would be surprised if Gina Prince Bythewood hadn't hadn't mm. had some inject. You know th- th- that that immortality twist especially feels like it's come from the director, not least because I looked it up and it's not something that gets replicated in the second volume of the comic. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's the there's a like. 
I don't know how well you guys know Gina Prince Bifwoods, um, but I... I listened to the Blank Check uh, miniseries on her. Does that count? Didn't yeah. watch any of the films? <laughs> okay, well, I think particularly... I'm going to edit that out because it's going to embarrass my, me for... Uh, no, leave that in. Okay, leave yeah. it all in. No, I'm editing it... it out! No, I'm going to keep referencing it back so you can't edit it out. So okay. Reese has canonically uh, not seen any of those movies, but has listened to someone else talking about them. Um... Love and Basketball is really great. Beyond the Lights is really great. And um, Reese, you're right that she didn't uh, She didn't really have like a feature in her background that would say you can direct an action movie, but she had gone and specifically taken some TV jobs that were more action-based. Uh, she, In fact, she, she directed a an episode of Cloak and Dagger. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was the pilot of Cloak and Dagger, actually. Um, so she 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 was obviously thinking about moving in this direction, and um, she had been signed on to direct Silver and Black when that was in development at mm. Sony. Um, I can I can only imagine having seen her other films and how good she is with um, interplay between characters and relationships and bringing strong performances out of actors i you know i think she's probably injected quite a lot of her personality into this and i would be surprised if you know those adaptation choices like like i think like the copley one's interesting right because in the comic he's just a suit and you add you add the you know him grieving a wife who died of als to this and then that that character makes sense and I think then because he's, you know, then you've got Chiwetelagia for giving a good performance. I think that makes the kind of the twist, at, well, not the twist, but the change from the comic at the end work. Where he's going, look, I was just, I'm try, I, I was trying to make, in the same way as they were trying to make sense of their purpose. He was trying to make sense of his purpose and go, well, I just want, I just wanted to bring some good to the world. So I kind of thought, yeah, why shouldn't you be like, you, you're immortal maybe someone could do something with that so people don't have to die like my <laughs> wife did I mean the the concern with that is that he chooses the most cartoonishly evil farmer bro ever to hit the screens <laughs> did you not like Harry Melling I, I thought the performance was fun but this isn't a movie that appreciates that level of fun <laughs> I love the bit when he's holding, he's at the top of the stairs. So first of all, he's like fucking hiding at the top of the stairs and he's got, and he's holding the ax and he's sort of, and it's, you know, they never sort of say why he's, why he's decided to just hold it. But, but you can just take from that moment. He's just, he just thinks it's cool if he holds it and he, he doesn't know how to use it, but he'll just kind of, he'll just, he'll just hold it at the top of the stairs. I just love that. I just got, you know, that's such a character moment for me where you, you know, you get, you just get, you just hate this guy another, you know, 15 yeah. levels of hate. Because it's just, you, the, you absolute tool. You're such the introduction, <laughs> the introduction of the character where he's on stage and he's like going, you know, I want to make the world better, but I've got to make a bit of money too. Hmm. And I was just going like, there's not a lot of nuance to this guy. <laughs> he reminded me of Lex Luthor in um, Batman v Superman. Right, okay. I think he's. I, I think he's better than that. <laughs> he's a guy that makes that makes more sense. I agree. He's more. He's more two dimensional. He has a, a broader interpretation. I 
Yeah, I, I wonder what you could have done in adaptation with that character to make him more interesting. But I think he does... He is just a bit of a, a broad foil for them at the end of the film. Well, yeah, I think if you... <laughs> I live... Uh, my housemate is is quite... He's, I'm a, I'm a left-wing person. My housemate is quite, like... A, he's quite a radical left-wing kind of guy. The way he talks about billionaires, you know? <laughs> In a way, like, this character is sort of... Is this is a kind of a billionaire caricature that that does exist in our in our society? You know, yeah. oh, if if you're if you're that rich, you're you're just you're just gonna be evil. And I think Harry Melling just ta- does tap into some version of that of like, I'm who just evil. The... I'm evil. I'm that rich. Of course. I mean, I'm just who... of course I'm evil. You know. Who was the guy who bought the Wu Tang Clan album? Oh yeah, Martin yeah, Shkreli, uh, yeah. Martin Scorsese. Yes, yes. That's, 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 that's the that is the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, and and you know what? I don't I don't think it is too absurd. Like I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, I can't remember who this was or what what specific. It was someone who worked in the food industry, and the, the like. The news interviewer posed him the question. He was like, "So what? You know, you've got two competing objectives. You're saying you want to help address childhood obesity or whatever, or you're saying you want to, you know." Um, address unhealthy eating but at the same time you need to make a profit for your company what's the priority and he's like well the priority is making a profit but obviously we want to do as much good as we can whilst making a profit <laughs> and you know that's that like that was <laughs> I remember going like I was watching it going oh that is quite brazen but I mean I guess he's right that as a, like it, as an employee of that company that is his job and that is his objective and the other stuff he's like yeah we can put time into doing that but you know it's kind of what you know we were saying about um, the the content companies weaponizing um, identity politics that they're mm. going yeah may- maybe this is a net good but we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't going to make us money and that's and uh, I, I just think that this is the mustache twirling version of that yeah. but he's he's a, a a douchey farmer bro who is going yeah i guess i'll make the world a better place and also but there there is also that sense of you know i want to be immortal as well <laughs> i mean one of the the concerns i had is that when they kill him it's not because they want to improve the world. It's because they're like, well, he knows who we are, so he's got to go. Like, well, it's a really well, selfish, selfish move. I think... Well, uh, it's more It's more, It's more. more just because... He's evil. In that, in that one moment, he's... Well, I, he's about to shoot Andy, isn't it? Well, no, they, he's they way more local than that. Yeah, but they, they're the ones who bring a firefight to his door. Like, they explicitly say... He yeah, knows who we are. Yeah, but there's no, there's no the discussion of how do we get out of this without, hmm. you know, killing all these people. They just go, him and everyone who knows who we are has to go. And that's why they recruit Copley in the end, because they can't kill him, but they have to get him on side, otherwise he's not allowed to live. Oh, I, oh, I guess that's a, that's a take of the ending. It's explicitly in the text. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not bringing my interpretation of that. They specifically we should, we should... say he has to go. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's the, the calculation of this dude is evil and also if we get away, he will keep hunting us. Yeah, so but like so I say, they were him. they were going to kill him whatever happened. Like there was no version of this story where he lives. Because they, they went, uh, we are going to kill this guy. I'm actually going to push back against that hard, James. In that I, I just don't think there are enough times in the film where they, you know, they aren't slaughtering anybody that 
you know that, that sort of sees their face they aren't i just don't think that the movie wants wants us to think that that wants it, us to think that that's how they i act, mean right? i would i just i disagree i just the characters literally say it i don't know i don't know how clear it can be no but because because he's gonna come after like yes he d- he has to die because it's, it's yeah because or, it's, it's inconvenient for them no because yeah because it's him or them and he's evil whereas copley it is not evil and he doesn't die <laughs> I, I don't believe, I just think i want to believe they wouldn't have killed copley i want to believe that they wouldn't have killed him even if at the end he kind of didn't want to go with yeah them on, yeah on i just plan. don't but, i want yeah. to believe that I, and i think you you think the opposite and that's it's okay it's okay uh yeah, like I say, I'm just I'm just going by what's in the text. So, um, should we talk about the um, the scene in the middle with Joe and Nikki after they have been kidnapped? So, mm. I think it's um, this this is all taken directly from the comic. So, you know, it, it, this is not mm. something that Gina Prince Byford has brought. And in fact, one of the one of the things that I don't know if this was Rucker was saying this, but it was part of the kind of PR for the movie was there is this pivotal scene in the in in the middle of it and rucker had said as part of his contract of selling of, you know of selling the rights to adapt this that that scene had to remain in the adaptation and that his contract stipulated that that scene and that romance had to be I don't believe that <laughs> well anyway that was that That's was part marketing. of the promotion yeah <laughs> but so um it, it, we have Joe and Nikki who are a couple and have been a couple for, for 200 years. Their setup is the same in the comic as it is in um, in the movie, which is that they fought each other in the Crusades. In fact, it's more than two. It's like a thousand years for them, isn't it? They <laughs> fought, They were on opposing sides of a war during the Crusades and they killed each other repeatedly. And it was at that point that both of them realised that they had this power because they kept coming back to life and had to keep killing each other. And eventually they, you know, they kind of found each other in that moment. Um, And the kind of pivotal scene in the middle for those two characters is when they have been kidnapped by by the tech bro, by Merrick's, um, like, militia that he's hired. Um, And... Nikki is passed out on the floor and Joe is trying to speak to him and like you know just checking he's all right checking he is he is going to come back because I think that's something that the movie always does the characters never take for granted that mm. they are going to come back from death each time there is always that mm. like frisson of ah are they going to be okay and mm. that makes sense right that makes sense, especially for these two characters who are soulmates mm-hmm. going I need to be sure every single time that you are actually coming back. Um, and so Nikki's on the in floor. The, in the out. way, in the way, like a married couple will, if somebody sort of just falls over, you know, the other will run to them, right, just yeah. to see they're okay, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. And hmm. um, and yeah, so Nikki kind of comes to and reassures Joe that he's okay, and uh, but but the militia guys are trying to stop them talking to each other. And then one of them kind of dis- dismissively says, like, what are you so worried about? Is he, is he your boyfriend or something? 
And then Joe has this like soliloquy about how he is more than his boyfriend, and and you know what what a pathetic comment for this guy to make. He's more than his boyfriend. He's his, you know, he's his everything. He's his world. He's the, you know, he's the person that he's loved for a thousand years. He's his moonlight and his stars and all of this, you know, very. Perfect. It's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Check that one. Yeah. Come down. It's a lot, but I think it. I I think that um, Marlon Kazari really nails the monologue. I think he's great in it, um, and I, th- I and I think it does a very good job of of selling that relationship. And I think it's, especially in movies of this size, I think it's very rare that you feel that these relationships aren't just there to tick a box. Where this this just feels so organic to those two characters, um, and it never feels like the movie is kind of patting itself on the back for having them there. Mm-hmm. In a way that I always feel like. Marvel in, movies, yeah, like the the way that I always feel like Marvel movies are doing, yeah. Whilst whilst yeah. being whilst being a lot less over about that, you know, because these characters are introduced as a couple, and it's and it's no big thing. Mm-hmm. I think Reece, it's Reece okay. disagrees. <laughs> well, here's a weird here's a weird counterpoint. I think, or I think, I think it weirdly feels like patting itself on the back watching the you know watching the film organically when you get to that point i don't think that that relationship has been set up enough before that point to really emotionally feel it um and i kind of think if you let's say you watch the film in 20 years time for the first time you'll get to that point and you'll go oh okay this was the bit in the 2020s when you know just to have a a gay romantic gay relationship on screen was like such a thing that was to be lauded and this film is lauding is 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 lauding it over the audience now, as the movie progresses, it, you know retrospectively that the 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 relationship feels much more, you know, it feels much deeper as you go on. Uh, you know, in some of those later scenes, again when they're checking up on each other, really plays to that. But I I I just th- I just think there's a, there's a half a scene missing, or there's just a few moments missing between the two of them before that that monologue that. The A, you know, again in 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 the future will make the will make the monologue more resonant. But, but you know, but B makes it feel less less of a less tokenistic. It, watching it even today in the moment, is, it would be my point. The the thing I come to is that it's not as physically affectionate as it would have been if it was a heterosexual relationship. Oh. Certainly not early on, and the way they play up the connection is through you know, language and exposition mm-hmm. rather than by depicting it as as a loving relationship. Like we hear yeah. we hear how much they mean to each other. We don't we, don't, we don't see it in the same way we'd see if it was a hetero relationship. And going back to, you know, what we mm-hmm. talked about in the new segment on the same episode about these yeah, these kind of cake and eat it, you know, it, uh, there is it's just a, there is still a bit of a sense of that with this. I yeah, think. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's That's better than almost any other action. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. And it's yeah. better than any Marvel film, better than any DC film, right? Like, Absolutely. it's it's the best version of this, but it still doesn't doesn't mean it's enough. It's enough, yeah. and doesn't mean it doesn't have this slight. It's a, whip, step, but... it's a step in the right direction. There are yes. still more steps to yeah. take. Yeah, so I guess the 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 physicality. I'm. 
I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm not sure whether I can agree or disagree with because I can't remember specifically enough. But it's not something that stuck out to me that they didn't. And that scene ends with a passionate embrace in the way that I would have expected it to play out with a with a heterosexual couple. Um, and I guess the reason why for me it doesn't feel like I, it doesn't feel like a pat itself on the back moment. It feels like an actively. Um, like a, a proactively aggressive moment against, I think, in the comic against the kind of reader and in the movie against the kind of viewer who would be going, "Ugh, why have they put gay people in this? Why, why did this couple have to be gay?" And that, that, yeah, it feels more confrontational. It feels like it's, yeah, that that's this, my that's my reading of it anyway. This is a, it's it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to talk about based on our you know based on our, our own ideology on, on this right it, it, it's it's quite a tricky thing to know what the, what the filmmaker slash even what what netflix would have wanted it's it's huge audience to feel you know with it's the very diverse audience across the whole world it it's tricky it's it's tricky to, it's it's tricky right based on our our sort of our settings right the three of us it's hard to know it's hard it feels quite a quite a personal response on a thing that we, you don't even know whether it's whether it's a throwaway thing or whether it's a it's calculated whether it's a it's trying to take into account our people like our personal um responses it's very it's, it's tricky it's tricky that's yeah hmm. yeah i i i am willing to give this film particularly the benefit of the doubt a film that is directed by a black woman that has a pretty diverse cast um i i'm more willing to give it the benefit of the doubt than i would be a lot of other stuff i think Mm. um Mm. yeah um is there anything else we want to hit in the old guard is there any james is there anything else anything else you hated reese anything else that you liked (laughs) Well, we have we have to talk about Charlize Theron. We do. We just have to. Mm-hmm. We oh, just yeah. must. She's, I think she's. Great we have in to. This. I think she's, she's amazing. Really great. This happened in the three hundred episode two, uh, where you, where I think I think because it's such an you know in that episode, it's Gerard Butler is such like a such a, it's such a it's so priced in to chat about that movie that you almost don't talk about him. He's you know mm. he's priced in, but and this is the is this the same with this, but. Charlie Stone has to be talked about. She is the star. This film probably wouldn't exist without her attachment at some level, right? Uh, it wouldn't be as, success- as successful without her. Maybe the, a sequel wouldn't be happening without her. Like, she is such such a key... She's so key to this whole thing. And she's amazing. And and, and I think even with all of the Atomic Blonde, um, uh, Fury Road, uh, Mad Max... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of her other actual properties. There are others. Hunts even with all of that. Yeah, exactly. Even with all that stuff. And there are still more, loads more. Fight I the still think she is, right. She is still like, she is still so underrated as, as a action. Regardless of her as, as an, as, a, as an acting kind of icon, she's, she's underrated as this, as an action, just, just beast beast i think she such she, a beast i think she does bring people to these movies now though yeah. i think yeah, yeah. you know this movie would I, I don't know who else you would cast in this role but that there, there, there are not many 
Nobody. I mean, there are not many action stars full stop that bring people to movies where they aren't playing a character that people know. You know? Like, you're not turning up to No Time to Die to see the latest Daniel Craig action movie. You're going <laughs> to see James Bond. And I that think, apl- I that think Liam to- Neeson and... Scarlett Johansson are the two people. So I think I think Neeson. (laughs) I think Neeson has Neeson has uh, is about five years past that sell by date now. (laughs) And Scarlett Scarlett Johansson has done it once. As like Lucy was a big hit outside of Tom Cruise. It's Tom Cruise. That's the the list is one name. I don't think I don't think it even I don't think it even is Cruise anymore. Like. Mm. Tomorrow crash landed. So yeah, yeah and uh, like Not he's he's got the Mission Impossible franchise, and you know he's he was the guy that outside of Mission Impossible and like I love Tom Cruise, but outside of Mission Impossible had never done sequels. But the, you know the big Tom Cruise projects, the, the the big projects coming up are an Edge of Tomorrow sequel and um, a Top Gun Top, sequel. <laughs> Top Gun too. So maybe I it's Theron. That... Maybe Theron is is the is the star that can. That can bring audiences to a uh, an IP free action film. That's the I, name. That's and it. I think. I think she's. I think she's so good in this. Like, I, I, I yeah, think she's, she's so really, really good. And yeah. I think she's so good in those action sequences as well. I think that the, the plane sequence that James, even you agreed, was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, like that. I think she is fantastic in mm-hmm. there with the the interplay. But there is there is a hint of fun to her in that scene <laughs> relative to the rest of the movie with the trick she with the trick she you plays. You don't with speak Russian, pilot. do you? Great line, yeah. great line. Yeah. Um, and 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 that fight and the brutality of that fight and the fact that she just utterly convinces in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's I, I'll be honest, like for like Charlize Theron is an actress who earlier in her career I was thoroughly unconvinced by and like i i, I remember as a 15 16 year old seeing eon flux in eon flux i was gonna say yeah. <laughs> being completely baffled and then like and this might have been you know she was just consistently in stuff that wasn't good because like i didn't like the italian job um i didn't like hancock particularly which i don't know maybe at some point we'll briefly talk about on this podcast but um <laughs> There was just a lot of stuff that I, I kind of, as as a dramatic actress and as an action actress, I was never hugely convinced by. And I think that the performance that turned it around for me, which I just think she's just tremendous in as young adult in 2011. Um, and then, I, you know, this past five years since Mad Max Fury Road, really, she's, I think, yeah, it, and the last couple of years, like looking at her range of performances across... You know, the action fair, Light Fury Road and Atomic Blonde and Fate of the Furious, which I don't love her in um, relative to the others. But then like a comedy like Longshot, which I think she's really good in. Tully, I think she's really good in. Mm. Um, Bombshell, which, yeah, that's a that's a, a lot of a, a lot of work is done by the makeup job. But also mm. I think she's really good in and that is just, you know, that they're, they're all different types of performance and different types of film. Um, yeah, I, and, and this is up there for me amongst one of her best. I think there isn't there isn't an analog to like even in even for for male actors who often they will they will sort of in their earlier years they'll like try and create an audience doing genre stuff and action stuff and then they'll transition that to prestige stuff and win an Oscar and etc. 
and Charlize, Charlize Theron, she hasn't done that. She's kind of, she's almost done the opposite. She's like kind of her gotten early to career the Oscar was point. the prestige stuff a lot. Yeah, she's got, yeah. she's won the Oscar doing, you know, in that prestige run and being like, okay, good, okay, you know, uh, I, wonderful, you know, wipe my hands of that. Now I'm going to just do what I just what I want to do, and what I want to do is 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 good action films. It's really good. It's great. <laughs> And she's and I, so I have to admit, I haven't seen Monster, so I don't. I, that might have been the thing that that delayed me being a Charlie Theron convert. But um, I think I think when Monster came out, we were probably too young to really appreciate it. To be fair, yeah, but I should. I, I probably should go back and revisit that. Yeah, let's do a Monster Patreon episode in a few weeks. <laughs> that feels like that really fits the. the I mean, she brand. was in. Uh, <laughs> that'd be so funny. That'd be so funny. <laughs> Sorry, James, what were you going to say? I was going to say she was in uh, Curse of the Jade Scorpion as well. Ooh. Oh, what, early on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's in Devil, Devil's Advocate. It's like a really early, big, yeah. sort of big movie performance. With, with uh, Keanu. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm not, I, I, my memory is not <laughs> not loving her performance in that. Has she, has she, been, she hasn't been in a John Wick yet, right? No, she's, I was thinking... she's just the atomic bomb, doesn't she? Right. I was thinking that... she'd be a lock for a Matrix sequel. Right, Matrix oh, sequel yeah. or John Wick sequel, right? Like, sort of combine yeah. those two. But also, but also, you know what? Fuck that. No, Actually, yeah, fuck I don't. That. Because Charlize is 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 big enough to just be her own stuff, right? She's yeah. she's her own brand. Mm-hmm. She has her own franchises. Don't yeah. need to hop on anybody else's. <laughs> yeah. Although, I, I... although also they took away Furiosa, Furiosa from her, didn't they? They were like, "We're doing a movie about young." Hey, you know how you like, you know how you know you loved Furiosa from Charlie's in that movie. Yeah, we loved her in that movie. Okay, we're doing a movie about her. Amazing. Uh, but she's younger. We're going to recast it. Oh, okay. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I am. Do you know I... why we like the movie? <laughs> I am <laughs> because she was the cousin. I am willing to. Um... Uh, until we see that movie, you know, give George Miller the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing with that franchise. Yeah, I guess. I guess, Joe. Fine, you're right. Fine, <laughs> you're right. And and you know, maybe we'll be to- talking this way about Anya Taylor Joy in ten years' time that she's <laughs> got all of these great great performances over lots of different types of movie. Um, is she young Furiosa? Is she cast, or are you is, just yeah. you fan casting? <gasps> no, she's, wow. she's young okay. Furiosa. Oh, I'm in. I'm He's all back in. in. He's back in. <laughs> I'm so in. I'm extremely in. I, I had forgotten about that. I'm all in. That last night in Soho trailer is amazing. I'm all in. Fine. Okay. As long as she plays trick chess. Fur- young Furious Furious has to play chess. That's all I ask. <laughs> and have a little CGI dragon. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, have, have I just any final thoughts on yeah. uh, on the old guard? I just want to quickly say, like, I I didn't hate the movie. If I've seen, if I've seemed quite negative, it's because I've been endeavouring to drag you guys back to the middle ground that I think this film occupies. Um, I think this is a oh, thank you, James. You're doing us such a service. I think thank I think you, this sir. is a three and a half star movie. Um, oh, so I'm I'm like it's a it's a high uh, it's a four, it's a solid four star movie for me. So yeah, we're, we're, so we're actually we're really, not that far off. I don't think it's a masterpiece. Off. I just think it's. A, a, like a good example of what it's trying yeah. to do. Well, this is the thing. It's a three and a half star movie that is not in a style that I enjoy. So, you know, it's not an experience I would be keen to repeat. Um, oh, and I, and I repeat, I repeated it and, and got loads out of it. I loved it. My, such, the such the thing, 
the thing that kept going through my mind when I was watching this is like, oh, it's like they did the Underworld movies, but they weren't, they aren't camp. And I, I really oh. like the Underworld Boo. movies. Boo! Oh, no, the Underworld some... movies are just jam-packed with nonsense and I love it. I mean, I don't dislike the Underworld movies. I love the Martin, uh, Martin no, Michael Sheen of them. Yeah. God, I, I, I used to pride myself on my Sheen knowledge, and it's gone to shit. Um, yeah, that's that's the vibe I get from Martin Sheen is liking. I would sign me up, please. I think that's uh, what his makeup job is in Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't know what they were thinking with that makeup job. Um, okay, so um, we, we've we've agreed after a long while that we're not that far off on this movie. <laughs> But, but also we kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> James thinks it's an okay example of what he doesn't like, and we think it's a good example that we of something we like. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, so that was the old guard. Um, we move on now. Uh, James, comic book recommendations. Have you got uh, any comics to recommend off of the old guard? I mean... I mean, the obvious one is to go and read the old guard, right? But... <laughs> I, I, I say, okay. I say no. I Easy say paycheck don't... this week, James. I don't think the comic's got anything in it. It's like, it's, I think for me, it was a curiosity to go back and read it. Having seen the film and go, oh, okay. So it's got a lot of stuff in common. It just doesn't have these. I don't think there's there's much extra that the comic has that the movie. Doesn't. I I think the thing that the comic has that the movie doesn't is that you can read it in about half an hour and get the same story. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Beyond that, I think I don't know. There's nothing that really springs to mind in terms of comic recommendations. Like I said at the time said in the patreon bonus episode one of the things that it reminds me of is the sort of later volumes of league of extraordinary gentlemen where the main characters have acquired immortality and are sort of grappling with that alongside you know the more fantastical world that they're inhabiting or you know the increasingly less fantastical world they're inhabiting um so you know maybe go and have a look at uh century the league of extraordinary gentlemen graphic novel that takes place over the course of like a hundred years um and you'll see some similar themes to the movie turn up there. And I'm going to do what I sometimes do, which is to recommend another movie off the back of this. Um, Highlander. No, I'm going to I'm going to take <laughs> going to take the rare step of recommending a movie I haven't seen. Everyone, <laughs> go get vaccinated. Go get your two vax. Go to the cinema and watch Fast Nine when it's released, where <laughs> with with uh, Charlie Saron returning as Cipher, the character we all know and love, but it's Justin Lin doing a Fast and Furious movie again. Dude. Oh my god, I'm so there for it! I cannot wait. I'm going to be there on opening day, and I just hope there's a runway. Do I have to have seen Fast One to Eight? No, that's the beauty of the Fast <laughs> movies. Because <laughs> I haven't. just watch them. They they're especially the Justin Lin ones are glorious and yeah, I it's not it's, it's not my thing so excited for Fast Night <laughs> I'm not oh, Joe, I'm going to I'm going to just tell you right now I'm, I'm right now in this second I'm going to insert um Vin Diesel saying the the movies the I'm going to put that in here right now so <laughs> so do you want to tee that up tee that up introduce him saying it and we're going to put it in say it hey Vin where should we go the movies 
<laughs> okay, uh, we move on to our final section, which is the pitch. Reese, what uh, what are James and I pitching you on this week? This this increases my chances from zero to zero, or theoretically from thirty three percent to fifty percent when we don't have a guest. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, well, I would also because because James fucking hated this movie so much, wanted to burn it alive, uh, Quinn style. Uh, this I think this could help you. Um, okay, for me, so I read a headline yesterday saying that Harry Melling, this was the number ra- number one red article on Deadline yesterday. Wow. And it was that he was getting cast as some actor, some role in some movie. Anyway, my point is that he's, <laughs> I think it was Errol Flynn. He, he feels oh. like a hot property to me, Harry, Harry Melling. Uh, and, he, you know, he was obviously in Queen's Gambit last year. He was in... Um, uh, the the Cohen Brothers Netflix anthology. He just feels like a hot property. So what happens with these hot properties in Hollywood these days is that they get cast in a in a comic book movie. He's and been cast so, in a comic book movie. Who is he in? What is he in? Oh yes. God. No, okay. Yeah. No. Sorry. I don't mean. I don't mean. No, I don't mean non DC uh, or Marvel. I want you to cast Harry Melling um, as probably probably a villain actually yeah, in a dc or marvel movie uh yeah that's it go i think he's i think he's very i think there's so much fun in this film and in, and in the other stuff i've seen him and he's a hot property i think it's gonna happen so almost this is almost like a predictive question right this is gonna happen he's gonna be in one of these films who's he gonna be that's the question who is he gonna be and i will go to i think because james hates this friggin' movie so much that i liked <laughs> and I want to punish him. James, I'm coming to you first to answer the question first. I think he should be the wizard in Fantastic Four. Because <laughs> he's got that kind of manic, uh, mad scientist energy combined with the appearance of a weakling. I think if you put him in a in a purple suit with a weird headgear and give him a stupid name and some floating discs, he would be a perfect foil for Reed Richards. Tell us a bit about the wizard. I, I just who, told who you everything the there is to know okay. about the wizard. <laughs> What is he? What is his? Has he got a power? No, he's just sort of smart and has floating gadgets. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a take. Joe, <laughs> Harry Melling as a villain in the comic movies. Right. I. But who am, should he be? I am picturing a Harry mm-hmm. Potter reunion, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, straight away that means he's age appropriate for a, as a contemporary for this hero. He's not a comic be... movie. He is going to be reteaming with uh, Robert Pattinson in a mm-hmm. sequel to The Batman, and he's going to be playing mm-hmm. Clayface. Because Clayface is a character we haven't really seen on the screen, and and he's kind of got this, um, got this mm-hmm. weird energy to him, and like uh, like Clayface. Yeah, Clayface. <laughs> the weird energy of Clayface. Yeah, he's got the weird energy of Clayface. <laughs> Um, no, I was saying that Clayface <laughs> has a weird energy to him rather than Melling. But Melling, Melling has uh, a very odd vibe, and I think that that would work for Clayface. <laughs> mm. That's all I've got. <laughs> oh, they're both bad. You'll see how good mine is. I'm struggling with both of these as a poor. I was thinking of Doctor Doom, but. Doctor Doom? Oh, what? I, I just. <laughs> okay, Reese has lost this right. Oh, I've, I've, no, I, okay, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to pick, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, because the wizard is a doom villain, I guess the wizard is, is sorry, is, is a, is a fantastic villain, we are closest with him to Doctor Doom. There you go. So I guess, 
unfortunately, even though I hate <laughs> to give it. I hate to give it. I think James wins this. He's in Clayface. Why would you put why Joe Clayface? What are you talking about? You just you pick a, like a voice actor for Clayface. What are you, just, you pick like a You bottled it, man. You bottled it. I just um, I just thought of the Pattinson thing and couldn't think of anything else. You're panicked. You're panicked. This is the I challenge was, of, of I'll be honest, if you'd have come to me first, I wouldn't have had anything. <laughs> So that's so that's what you that's that's uh, what you, you'd prepared for that. That was you thought about that, and you I come still with Clayface. Panics and Google's um, comic book villains. Because <laughs> I, I I thought we did hear some typing sounds. So that's, yeah, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> no idea. That was you're typing, the, you're, that was the most lost I've ever been in a pitch, and I have um, <laughs> I have as a, a rare treat consumed zero alcohol during the uh, recording of this podcast. So maybe that's why I'm off my game. If, um, if you'd okay. said Joker, you might have had a point, you know. Yeah, no, that no. would have won it. Yeah, that would have won nah. it. Just because, yeah, sure, because nah, the got wizard a, is a weird choice. He's got, he's got a like a, choice. he's got a, a like a tragic, slightly pathetic vibe to him as well. That's why Farmer Bro. That's why Farmer Bro is good casting. Um, listeners, thank you for sticking with us through that. If you would like to hear more <laughs> of our nonsense, good. then please head to <laughs> patreoncom forward slash cinematic universe. Um, if you subscribe to us for three dollars a month, for I think two pound fifty in English money, you get ex- uh, exclusive bonus episodes that come out weekly. This week you'd get two. You'd get the uh, the old guard read along that we did, and also episode one of Loki because the DC uh, the Disney Plus shows are back, uh, which means that we are doing weekly recaps of those shows. So. Um, yeah, we'll be doing weekly recaps of Loki before wrapping it all up on the main feed in uh, six to eight weeks' time. So head over to Patreon and listen to that because yeah, we we have a lot of fun doing those and um, hopefully bring some insight to to our discussion <laughs> of of those uh, of those episodes. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode specifically, then please do subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Although I believe you follow on uh, on. Apple Podcasts yeah. now. <laughs> if you if you are still finding Apple Podcasts functional at this point, if not, head over to another app, <laughs> like us and subscribe there instead. I use um, Overcast and it is very good. Yeah, me too. Um, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, we are at cine underscore verse. I'm at Joe Cunningham fourteen. James is at James Hunt and Reese is at Reese. You can email us at podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. Um, let us know your thoughts on the movie uh, that we've just watched and also you know let's get chatting some Loki Uh, we will be back in two weeks time wait until after the credits to hear what we'll be covering thanks for listening and we'll see you then goodbye bye Don't worry, death's not that bad. How do you know? I died once. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Electra. And... Meow. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks with Catwoman. <laughs>